the moral of the story. Trust God. Like what kind of parent? Right. What kind of creator would cause harm to their own? So today's um, show and allow me to extrapolate my adventures. I've had a few tef- technical difficulties. I have been, well, I feel like I'm in like scattered in a million places doing things and you know, I really wish I had a production team. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's people in different time zones assisting, but it'll get there. So I just finally, let me just check on the status of it. Uploaded a portion of a video that's very important that I will play, but I will, uh, the feeds will cut. And when I play that, I'm actually going to put it on all platforms so everyone can watch and then cut it and remove it. And the reason this will be done is because, you know, it's just, you know, uh, there's so much going on. I mean, you know, they're labeling Americans and patriots as enemies. They're labeling people that are Christian enemies. The Catholics, well, that was intended because we saw Ali Akbar with his church militant groups and, you know, the Catholics, and he had this whole Catholic revolution. And I mean, it was, it was part of the plan. But I thought, you know, we are the CIA. We are the Central Intelligence of America. This is what we are. We, the people, are not only the intelligence analysts, but we, the people, have more power to actually enforce things, too. And I believe that all of us can agree that the military-industrial complex is the enemy. And so we're going to talk about that and the truth. Because if you want to narrow down what the problem in the United States is, I would say, well, it's a math problem, then we can solve it. And that's called the Gettier problem. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about truth, but we're also going to uh, shine a little bit of light on things. See, you know, this Hunter Biden laptop, you know, everyone's like, ah, you know, money, money, this, that, transfers. Yes, yes, yes. But there's bigger crimes and bigger things we need to talk about. So I'm going to take you down a rabbit hole. And I like that text, Citizens Intelligence of America. Freaking love it. That's what it is. So today I will um, start by just telling you the news and we're going to talk about what's important and then we're going to dive right in. You guys want to talk about the Denver International Airport? Oh, wait. Like today, uh, yesterday I didn't do a show. So how's I take you down a rabbit hole with a a ton of facts? Because I think it's about time we rip a little bit of the mandate off and kind of showcase the military industrial complex as we should. So I highly suggest this feed should be shared far and wide because that information is going to stick somewhere on pause and put on the shelf. Because what will be put together for you uh, is going to be quite interesting. So... One thing, one piece of advice always is to sit back and wait. You guys notice, oh, why aren't you saying something about this? Like he fell down the stairs and, oh, you should talk about what President Trump said and, you know, the, the 
47, no, not yet. But I did find out something and I was like, "Mm, that makes sense. So I found out that Tracy Beans was an invite somewhere in Mar-a-Lago. And for some reason, she thought she just just walk up to the president and start taking pictures and stuff. Oh, look, I'm a friend. And we're like best buddies. Totally not. Because she fucked it up for everyone. And now cell phones are no longer allowed. Nobody can take selfies anymore. Because, you know, she wanted to be like, oh, look at me. So she fucked it up for everyone. It's almost like the thing where I was laughing at my cousin. So let me tell you the funny thing. So my cousin's a really handsome guy. And he's a, he's an actor in Greece, super known, all the girls fawn over him. I mean, even at a young age, you know, he was always the heartbreaker, but the mysterious one, you know, kind of like your, your, your stoner group, but the hot looking one that kind of looked like Jim Morrison with his long hair. And he was like all studly. He was a, he was a stud, but he was cousin. So that's weird. Anyway. So he got a kickoff in um in a show called The Island, and he was a big rage. You know, everyone just loves him, and he's great. He's a great actor, and and he's gorgeous too. Let's not forget that. But he's also like infatuated with stars. And go figure, you're a star. Like, why are you getting starstruck? Anyway, so there was this chick that we used to listen to um, as kids. Uh, So every summer he would play music. So there's like musicians that have been around and they're like dinosaurs. And you're like, how are you still singing? Because the difference between... U.S. Um, music industry and the Greek music industry is that your performers literally are somewhere performing, kind of like how they had Britney slaving away at Las Vegas with live shows all the time. Well, these people do the same thing. Anyway, so <laughs> when my other cousin was visiting, right, right, when my other cousin was visiting, we had a big laugh. The media was going insane. Why? Because he fucked it up for everyone. I'll tell you what. So Greek music, right? People love wine. Uh, when you go out clubbing, especially to listen to Greek music, the 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 cultural nuance of that is you don't show up before no- midnight. Sorry, I went to say noon, midnight, right? And so he's at the club dating a really old woman, but she's a superstar and a singer. So she's performing. So he's there. So um, Vasily is, you know, adorning his hot wife who looks really hot because she's way older than us, way older, super hot, you know, super, but old, <laughs> like, like Madonna territory. Okay. And, um, and so, but she doesn't, well, she hasn't had the work Madonna's had. Well, she might, but it's way better anyway. And so he's sitting there and he's like singing along to her song and he's hanging out there and he's in the club with a cigarette. So the paparazzis grab a picture of him kissing his new girlfriend where everyone's losing their mind and he's smoking. So guess what? He fucked it up for everyone. The, the, the venue was fined for smoking in there while everyone still smoked anyway. It's just nobody took pictures so it wouldn't be a scandal and then they would crack down. So he fucked it up for every single venue in Greece where people would sneak a cigarette in the club. Right. And it's kind of the same thing Beans did. She fucked it up for everyone because she wanted to be thirsty. And, you know, and I get really upset with this whole thirsty thing. I, I do. You see people getting thirsty. Like, I'm going to get this person to come. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, and, and it just, it annoys me. And I think it's because I'm in a bad space only because I'm stressed out. So, yeah, Vas- Vasily Bizbikis. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes, he's my cousin. So, um, yeah, I have pretty hot cousins. My family, they all look good, like from both sides. They're pretty handsome and good looking. Anyway, so (laughs) I just wanted to demonstrate how people can fuck shit up 
when it's, you know, when they're infatuated, either in love or thirsty. And I just wanted to throw that because, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, it's like the salty me. I'm super raging. So anyway, after updating drivers and doing things, I finally got something to render, which is great. Not exactly what I pictured, but that's fine because it's only a preview and an introduction that all of you will be able to see. But obviously the keys are going to be sitting locked down behind a paywall for only my annual subscribers to look at. Now, this will be released later because it'll actually be a full-blown documentary, like enjoy the show where we're going to analyze it. So that is in the mind. So now let's, um, let's focus on today's, uh, I almost <laughs> tried to, yeah, no, the more I think of it, when I actually freaking get the studio done, I'm really sure, <laughs> sure that I'm going to be very distracting only because I'm so angry. But anyway, let's, um, let's take a look at what the news want you to know. Let's just see what the narrative is for today. And that's what's important. So first of all, I checked out CPAC, looked at all the speakers, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, why would President Trump be in a room with most of these people? But I'm going to hold my tongue and I'm going to be like, whatever. Uh, they better be paying my president a lot of money to turn up because they're all horrible. Then I see Vivek is throwing his hat in and then I'm like, oh, watch the wives. Oh, this is Wexner. Because someone's like, what do you think? And it's like, Yeah. Here's another operation for the pedos to get in and pedos and traffickers and keep the business going because he's connected to Les Wexner. So he will have a shit ton of money funding him. So be very, very careful. It's just so weird. He got on Tucker like almost instantly from announcing. It's so weird. Anyway. Uh, you know, everyone's kind of like confused of, you know, this whole Tucker Carlson thing. They all like were talking shit about the president and everything. And obviously to save his face, Kevin McCarthy's like, hey, I'm just going to give you all the footage. And it's like, why don't you give it to the prisoners? Why don't you give it to the left and the right? Why don't you give it to everyone? You should have a Dropbox link for everyone to see every bit of footage. And the fact that I see people saying, you guys are so bad. You know, you're so upset that McCarthy just gave it to him. And it's like, yeah. Why would someone profit off of some footage that could be exonerating to the prisoners, right? That is ours because we pay taxes and we own it and no one should be profiteering off of that. Because even when they do get the information, it's always half-baked and it's supposed to be, you know, what they want. That's the way it is. So the news wants you to have that. They're telling you how the GOPers are attacking Biden over Ukraine visit. And well, I'm not so miffed about the Ukraine visit. Like it's expected. My complaint is the Romanian visit. And we're going to visit a little bit of that because that has to do with Denver International Airport. And you'll see what I'm saying on that. In the meantime, the Supreme Court case that is out there about Google, it, it kind of tries to see uh, what tests they can put out to see if firms are liable for user content because their excuse is, well, we uh, because we're liable, so we take it off. But are you liable? If you want to be liable, we could be super liable because now you could be sued and therefore no content will be on your platform. So it's super bizarre, right? It's super bizarre. We also have a Wisconsin court race that's very critical. We have South Carolina's Nikki Haley and Tim Scott on a collision course in the 2024 presidential race. Like who's making this shit up? Like these people, <laughs> like it's not even, oh my God, it's not even a race. And on top of that, we have a pony show of people auditioning to be vice president for the president, which is okay. Thirsty, take a seat. Total thirst. Um, 
So <laughs> I was skimming through the news. There isn't really anything except for Bernie Sanders. You know, Nikki Haley's call for competency tests is absurd. It's like all of these people are going berserk. Uh, you know, there's Republicans uh, courting Iowa voters. Why are we still going with the caucus? See, all this stuff needs to be eliminated. This, this, this method, this program, this thing of how we elect our leaders really needs to go because they're not really running the show. It's the MIC and we know it. They're one of the biggest threats. These are what you would call the keystone people, which are your senior executive service officers, which is what Pence was. He was an SES, was, right? Obviously would be with vice president. He's way up there supposedly. So, uh, you know, we have issues with them, but we need to like talk about these things. And we should talk a little bit about Romania. Now, today we have the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. <laughs> and I say this confidently because there's no Biden is the president of Ukraine. He was, you know, very proud that every American city in America, even small ones, and big ones have Ukrainian flags. No, they shouldn't. They should have American flags and they should be waving them proudly. But anyway, on that note, uh, how do you know what the truth is? And so I found this little cute video that some guy named called Tom Matrick with a Q put out. And this isn't like super awesome, but it's awesome-ish enough to kind of dumb down some issues. And then we'll get into analyzing the Dunning-Kruger effect and um, uh, the Gettier problem. So let's go. What is truth? And not the opposite of a lie kind of truth, but the feeling inside of knowing something, that kind of truth. Here's a quick quote from Albert Einstein. If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. I'll try to follow the suggestion in his quote and it's very possible that six and seven-year-olds and some advanced five-year-olds may understand this better than some adults. So, what is truth? Let's say we have a ball. The ball is two colors split down the middle. Half of the ball is orange and half is green. Two people are standing, one on each side, Nobody is allowed to lie and must tell the truth. Remember, it's not a test for verbally spoken truth, but the feeling, knowing, believing kind of truth. The person on the left tells the person on the right, it's an orange ball. The person on the right answers, no, it's a green ball. And they begin to argue about it. This is what the person on the left sees, and this is what the person on the right sees. One person sees an orange ball, the other sees a green ball. What is the truth? Let's bring in a third person. That person is you. Yes, you, the one watching this video. You see two people arguing whether a ball is orange or green, when you know it's both colors. You also know that neither person can see the other side of the ball, so you know from their point of view they're both right. This would be your perspective, or point of view, or truth. Now a fourth person is standing nearby 
knows that there's a yellow light shining on the ball that nobody else sees, making it look orange and green when in fact it's a red and blue ball. So what's the truth now? Let's use this multicolored soccer ball to represent many people. And let's say each person can only see one spot or color on the ball. Once again, nobody is allowed to lie and must tell the truth. After everyone finishes saying, it's a yellow ball, it's a blue ball, it's a white ball, and all the other colors, the ones who see yellow start grouping together because they see the same thing. And the ones who see blue start grouping together because they're seeing the same thing. Then each group starts thinking the other groups are wrong. So they all begin arguing about who's right. The word truth means a fact or belief that is accepted as true or something provable or verifiable. Have all the people who see yellow verified and proved the ball to be yellow? Yeah. Have all the people who see blue verified and proved amongst themselves that the ball being blue is indeed a fact? Yes, again. And remember, no one is lying. Let's bring in the third person again. You. What do you see? Don't you wish you could just tell them all it's a multicolored ball and that they're all wrong? Or should you see if that fourth person is somewhere nearby with more information than what you already have? Can truth change? Well, if the two people in the beginning were shown that the ball has two colors, one on each side, then wouldn't the truth they believed in the beginning change? And if they met the fourth person who knows about the light, then it wouldn't it change again? Truth could be thought of as just a temporary belief of knowing something in a moment of time until it advances and then changes. Well then, that's actually a really good Dr. Seuss quote, isn't it? I think it is, right? It's fantastic, fantastic Dr. Seuss quote. And I believe that if more people, you know, understood that pure statement that Dr. Seuss had put out. Today you are you, and that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. See, truth they say is perspective, but this is how psychological operations operate. They understand that. And history, you must look at the origins of the word history. Actually, an American inventor, Henry Ford, was the one that said history is more or less bunk. Others have seen history in another eye and called it as truth. Now, it's very hard to define without grappling and tensions with what's fact, what's fiction uh, between ourselves because it's perspective, because it's a temporary belief of what someone knows at that time. But as you notice through that fascinating video, people would group because they know. Why? Because they're not taking the 
whole view. They are not objective. It is subjective to their perspective rather than stand on the moon and look down. And then you can see all the hot spots on the map. And you would be able to see both sides of the ball. You would be seeing all the colors, right? And you would see, well, you're all kind of right, but because you're in that spot or it's because what you want, right? And so there's this lecture from Greenfield Community College, and I'm going to play just a couple minutes of this just so you could um, understand how people see this. Oh, because we're going to be dropping some serious truth today. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be fun. You're going to get it. So about five minutes because I want him to introduce the different versions of truth. So this is... Um, Professor David Mackenster, it's like he's doing an intro to philosophy class. Please take a listen. David Mackenster again, and this lecture is called What is Truth? This corresponds to the assigned readings in Bertrand Russell's The Problems of Philosophy. It sort of dovetails with the uh, previous lectures that are based on that book. But like those lectures, it's also going to go a little farther. Um, Very famously, in the New Testament, um, Jesus is being interrogated by Pontius Pilate, and Jesus says something about coming into the world to bear testimony to the truth, and Pilate replies, what is truth? Which all the Romans seem to think is a a really funny joke. Uh, Why would they think that? These are classically educated pagans, these Romans, Pontius Pilate and his cohorts. And, of course, what he's doing is, interestingly enough, uh, he's sort of doing something Socratic. You know, but what is truth? And so, oh, Lord, no, he's going <laughs> to he's gonna do like Socrates, which Jesus doesn't answer, although that would have been an interesting conversation. But this is a question which um, always reminds me of what St. Augustine said about time. Of course I know what time is, unless you ask me to explain it, and then I'm at a complete loss. Most people feel that uh, you know feel the same way about truth. What is well? If you ask what is truth, well, you know it's like stuff that's not false. Well, isn't that circular? Um, mm. <laughs> okay, um, and indeed Russell does say that any adequate theory of truth must also have an account of falsehood. Okay, Plato dedicated an entire dialogue to understanding the nature of falsehood, uh, what's called the sophist. Okay, Russell talks about primarily the correspondence theory of truth, the coherence theory of truth, and then talks about the pragmatic theory of truth just enough to dismiss it. And we're going to try to give it a little better, a little better, more sympathetic treatment here. He also talks about knowledge by acquaintance and knowledge by description, and I'm going to try to show that it's the commitment of Russell to a correspondence theory of truth that really requires him to make this distinction and to press hard with this distinction. I'm also going to talk about a contemporary problem, a gate through which you must pass if you study philosophical truth, called the Gettier problem, after the philosopher who uh, articulated it. And we'll talk about the possibility that maybe we need a sense of truth that isn't merely about propositions. Traditionally, Western philosophers, at least, have wanted to define truth as being a property of propositions. Statements are true or false. Okay? Anything that's not verbal, not linguistic, is not capable of being meaningfully called true or false. So, let's begin. The correspondence theory of truth is very often thought of as uh, 
the default theory of truth. If you don't think too much about it, it's probably what you've come up with. And indeed, it does seem to be intuitive. It does seem to work well for many instances of things that we'd say say are true. Okay. The pen is on my hand. There's a statement. The pen is on my hand. Is that true? Well, actually, marker. Okay. (laughs) I know someone will say, wait a minute, he's trying to fool us. That's not a pen, that's a marker. Okay, the marker is on my hand. Is that true? Well, not a trick question. Yeah, it's true. What makes it true? Well, according to the correspondence theory of truth, this state of affairs makes it true. Not another proposition about the world, but the fact that this state of affairs exists. The marker is on my hand. What makes that false? Well, here's the marker, here's my hand. You know, there's, that's the state of the world. Okay? Um, as long as you're dealing with what British philosophers like to call medium-sized dry goods, <laughs> as your examples, that seems to work pretty well. Plato talks about the correspondence theory of truth in dialogue called the Theotetus, and he commends it as seeming to be very intuitive and straightforward for a number of instances of how we use the term truth, but he also raises doubts that it's completely adequate for, you know, for every way in which we use truth. Remember, Plato is one of those people saying we don't necessarily always mean the same thing when, we're, when we say that something is true. Okay? Um, for propositions about the way the world is, such as the pen is on my hand, ordinary material objects, uh, that seems like, a, like it would be pretty adequate, except for one thing. What does correspondence mean? How exactly does a proposition correspond to something in the world? Now, that would seem to be relatively easy to explain until you try to explain it. And then, in fact, it's, it's been devilishly difficult for people to come up with a, a, uh, explanation, an explanation of that that actually holds up to scrutiny. Uh, some contemporary philosophers defending the correspondence theory of truth have said, look, in any system you have certain terms that are primitives. Okay? I believe I mentioned those before. A primitive, whether it's in mathematics or logic or whatever, is a first principle that isn't defined in terms of uh, more basic principles. It's a, it's a term that is, in fact, defined by the way it's used. Okay? You have to have some, some things that are, are undefined Otherwise, you get into an infinite regress of definitions. Well, define what correspondence is. Okay, well, define, the, define what you're talking about in that definition. Okay, now define what you're talking about in that definition. And you can go on and on and on. It's an infinite regress. Uh, something has to be taken as, a st- taken as a starting point, and then you understand what it's supposed to mean by demonstrating how it's used. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Correspondence is good for ordinary objects, but what about abstract general propositions? Well, that was an introduction, and the course is on there on YouTube, and it's called What is Truth? And I suggest people to look at college courses. I saw a few uh, arguments in an ethics course uh, that Harvard had that was pretty cool, uh, though it wasn't satisfying enough. I have to say, it was not that satisfying uh, because it was just going down to not tickling your your thoughts. You know, it's a lot more fun when something tickles your brain. <laughs> it does. It, it makes it more um, challenging. Well, there was a show that I was on, uh, the Conservative Daily. I'm going to be on there on Friday, I think, 6 p.m. this week. And I saw a TikTok that was made about this. And so here's the introduction to... Um, 
this whole concept of the Dunning-Kruger effect that I want to demonstrate. So allow me to share this TikTok um, that I saw. Here we go. Let me find it and let me play it for you. Wait, hold on. All right. Okay. I think I found it. Here we go. Okay. So I'm going to start it now. In Greek, uh, the, the person that is uh, not intelligence, that doesn't have knowledge, is not a threat to society because they're just dumb. A person that has high intelligence is not a threat because then that comes wisdom. A person that has half-baked intelligence, meaning they yeah. know half the story of everything, they're the worst because they talk as if they are intelligent, but yet they're as dumb as rock, dumber than the dumbest, right? Because they don't know what they're talking about. And so this is the the term of imimathis. And um, what I like to say, it, it more leans to the cognitive biases that people have. And cognitive biases is just an effect of how people respond. And I found this like after school um, video that's like so cool that will introduce this you know, concern, this cognitive biases and why incompetent people think they're competent um, better. And this is the state of America right now in regards to news and influencers. You know, a lot of them are like, they're activists. And it's like, well, a reporter is usually an activist for truth. And it you need to be impartial. Now, a lot of people say, well, you're not impartial. You like Trump. Uh, yeah, because he stands for the truth. And he was selected by us the people, to be the head and represent us correctly. And uh, and it looks like I was kind of right. Looks like, you know, when they're looking at the tallies of the votes, he did win by 120 million votes. But, you know, I digress because people think that people actually voted for this man. So let's go. Now, let's watch this after school video. This is one that you should be showing your kids and your loved ones so they can understand what cognitive bias means and why incompetent people think they're actually competent. Let's go. Socrates said the only true wisdom is knowing when you know nothing. But that's not actually easy for humans to do because our brains want us to think that we are awesome. In 1995, MacArthur Wheeler walked into a bank in Pittsburgh ready to rob it. He didn't wear a mask, he didn't have like a fake mustache, he was just there robbing a bank in full view of everyone. He even smiled at the security cameras before leaving and going to a second bank to rob that one too. Later that night, the security footage allowed the police to pick him up and take him off to jail, which shocked him. He was shook. I wore the juice, he famously exclaimed. Wheeler believed that rubbing lemon juice on his skin would render him invisible to videotape cameras. This is a cognitive bias at work, and it inspired two psychologists to create some experiments to understand it better. Cognitive biases are everywhere. Have you ever met someone who has one, like perhaps during a group project at school or during an argument with a stubborn uncle or when you had to toil alongside that coworker? You know the one I'm talking about. Somebody who believed they knew things, but really they didn't. Believing you know something that you don't is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's named for the two psychologists who, upon hearing about Wheeler's bank robberies, formulated a set of experiments to determine if Wheeler's juice beliefs were due to some kind of cognitive bias. Cognitive biases allow us to convince ourselves that something is true, even if the reality is different. 
Cognitive biases protect us from reality. They let us process information more quickly and they help us make decisions more quickly, but that doesn't mean that they are good. Cognitive biases are essentially a subjective social reality. The Dunning-Kruger Kruger effect is, in a nutshell, a way for everyone to feel good and above average internally because most of us are actually completely average. Dunning-Kruger can help explain why people feel that they're experts even though they know very little about something, a problem sometimes described by this graph. The vertical axis is confidence, and the horizontal is experience. Imagine someone spent an hour reading the Wikipedia page about global warming, then took to Twitter to try and school some climate scientists who have literally spent their lives studying it. You don't have to imagine this, because you know it. It happens all the time. This cognitive bias is extremely common. For example, a 1992 survey of the engineers at one company found that 42% of them, 42%, believed they were in the top 5% of all the engineers at the company. But that's not actually possible. 42 cannot be 5. Another example is driving. One study found most people believe that they are above average at driving. But most people cannot be above the average. Another survey of people aged 77 years and older jived with that as well, most assuming they were average or above average. But again, that's not actually possible. Most people have to be average because that's how statistics work. The psychologists who first realized this bias was part of the human fabric did so in four studies. Humor, logic and reasoning, and English grammar. We'll just take one. In the humor study, the psychologists asked two groups to rank jokes on a scale of 1 to 11, one being not at all funny and 11 being very funny. Group A was a set of average Cornell undergraduates, and Group B was a small set of professional comedians. The idea was to see if average people would believe that they were above average at picking out what was funny or as good as professionals. After Group A had ranked the jokes, the researchers asked them to compare their ability to pick what was funny against the professional comedians, you know, to rate themselves. And unsurprisingly, on average, everyone overrated their skills. Remember, 50 is average, and the whole group together said that they did 66, which I would rank as an 8 out of 11 on our joke scale. But this is where the surprise comes in. Those who did the worst placed themselves in the 58th percentile on average. They believed that they were better than 57 other people out of 100. Their real score? The 12th percentile. They were worse than 88 other people. These were the victims of this newly discovered cognitive bias, the idea that people with a little bit of knowledge or skill in an area believe that they are better than they are. Dunning and Kruger went on to show that this bias exists multiple times with different experiments, like when assessing effective leadership, raising children, constructing a solid logical argument, and so on. Generally, in each study, the participants in the bottom 25% of scores consistently ranked themselves in the 70th percentile. It is worth pointing out that self-confidence is extremely important. Self-esteem is valuable. We should all feel good about ourselves. That said, we should also have a good assessment of what we're good at and what we are not good at. For example, I'm pretty good at making science videos. I am not very good at kung fu, farming, or financial policy. It's easy to dismiss Dunning-Kruger as just overinflated ego, but that's not actually what's happening. Even ego can see its own limits, and there are some serious examples of people not even realizing their own failures thanks to this bias. These experiments work not just in humor, logical reasoning, and rules of grammar, but also have been replicated in math skills, wine tasting, chess, firearm safety among hunters, and medical knowledge among surgeons. And that's where things get really serious. 
A 74-year-old woman awoke from a simple spinal fusion surgery in terrible pain because her surgeon believed himself to be one of the best around. Instead, he's now in prison for life. He's accused of maiming multiple patients and causing two deaths. Meanwhile, he claimed, quote, everybody's doing it wrong and that he was, quote, the best in the whole state. It's pretty amazing that it took us so long to give Dunning-Kruger a name because it is everywhere. The more we look for it, the more we see it. That said, Dunning-Kruger doesn't apply to everything, namely in areas where it's easy to compare. Baking, for example. If you assume you're an amazing baker, then you bake a cake and it's inedible, it's pretty hard to deny that you're a terrible baker. One paper I read said that most people who play golf don't believe that they are as good as Tiger Woods when surveyed, but I would guess if we asked, they would still rate themselves above average. Because an online survey of over 1,700 average adults in Great Britain found that one in eight men believed that they could score a point against Serena Williams, the woman ranked number one in tennis for more than six years. That said, it's very important to point out the Dunning-Kruger effect is gender neutral. It applies to us all. Interestingly though, Dunning-Kruger found the people at the top don't overestimate themselves. In fact, quite the opposite. Dunning-Kruger found the best around tend to rank themselves below their actual performance. Yeah, DK has two parts. People in the bottom 25% rank themselves at near the top, and people in the top 25 tend to rank themselves a bit lower than their actual score. This can help us understand why it is hard to counter Dunning-Kruger. In order to know you don't know anything, you gotta have to know something. An example, if your cognitive bias has you assume that you're amazing at driving, but you only drive in, say, rural areas of the desert southwest, how would you ever find out that you're bad at it? You would need to drive around others or take classes to learn good driving habits or ride with someone who is objectively considered a good driver to see what you're doing wrong and then get that critique and recognize it and then learn. You think many of those people who believe they're good drivers are going to do those things? Yeah, I didn't think so either. In a bit of follow-up research, Dunning has found people who are low performers, in reality, are not good at accepting criticism and often don't show interest in self-improvement. He told Forbes, quote, research subjects were willing to criticize their own previous poor skills once they were trained up and could see the difference between their previous poor performance and their new and improved performance, but to get them to train up on their own was very unlikely. If we never change the knowledge that we assume we have, then we can just keep on going, thinking we're amazing. Who doesn't want to do that? Even if we're not, yay cognitive biases. In the end, Dunning-Kruger is a cognitive bias that can affect anyone and everyone. If you're actually above average at any task, you might be undervaluing yourself. And if you're average or below average at some other tasks, you're probably assuming you're pretty good. In the age of the internet, everyone can be a quote-unquote expert. We all have access to infinite information. Our minds are drawn to learn a little bit about a lot of things. And that little bit of information is enough to make us weak-minded humans feel confident about what we know even when we know nothing. And add to that the global platforms of social media and then everyone can feel like an expert and most won't accept any critique. Let's face it, I have probably been one of those people and maybe you have too. It's crucial in today's overstimulated world to be able to differentiate a real expert from an overconfident novice. And that goes for understanding your value as well. The key is know your talent, understand your pitfalls, take criticism, and keep on learning. And Kruger was. Charles Darwin wrote, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. And it turns out he was right. I wonder if Darwin would have rated himself as being above average on that one. Thanks so much for watching After School. It was
All right. Guy's awesome, right? He kind of put it in a nutshell. This is one of the problems that we have in America right now. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is actually amplified on social media because you have people that are supposedly esteemed. It's like that guy that came on my feed. Stu Peter said it, so it's true. And it's like block, you know, that's a cognitive bias. For some reason, he's the all-knowing oracle. I never say I all know. I know the stuff I know and I know the stuff that others don't. Because there are a lot of things that you think you know and don't know. And here's the other thing. This is the way the intelligence communities act. I had a fantastic conversation with Ivan, who I will have on my show, and I'll probably ask Chris Miller to come too, um, you know, because I want his book, like I'm, I'm trying to go through it, like it's amazing and I want him to talk, but I want to have them in the studio. I think that's better. Um, but we had an, a fascinating conversation and uh, pretty much said what I said. This whole debacle that our nation is in this whole psychological operation is on a global scale and they're all the intelligence agencies and i kind of like toyed around with ipod uh yesterday on um truth uh because he was like hey i've got a new twitter account still waiting on my other one same here but i kind of had a couple conversations yesterday and people that are actually actually using their timeline feeds people that are actually in the know and are their timeline feeds are being used in grand juries right now for prosecutions against certain people. They are not allowed to be out. That way, those people don't have access to it. Just saying. So anyway, this is a, a mishmash. And I, I think my, my tweet was, <laughs> I spoke it. And he was like, yeah, I don't know how to drum up whatever. He had like five followers when I said this. Um, and I was like, well, maybe you can have the conversation. You know, you should have this conversation where you're just like, um, you know, hey, you know, the problem in America is that we have too much CIA, uh, you know, MI6, German Intel, Gestapo's, Chinese, IIS, and Mossad. And then I was like, wait, and, and did I say Mossad? I meant Mossad, Mossad, definitely Mossad, maybe a little bit more than others, Mossad. Maybe we can start a conversation like that. And that's because for some reason, some people believe because of the necessity and the dichotomy that they have within their own structure in Israel, that everything is good. No, when they're working together with all the other intelligence, they're, they're, it's not for good. Okay. I worked for that agency. Remember, that is what I was saying. I worked for the global intelligence agency. And the more as time goes, the more people are seeing it. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Isn't that the people that I said that I work with? It's Global Strategies Group. Well, now they have an arm called UltraTech that's registered in the US and have DOD contracts. So weird. But anyway, I digress. Truth. It's always amplified by people that have a little bit of knowledge and not a lot. I'm the type of person that's always like, hey, did I do okay? And people are like, oh, you do amazing. And it's like, mm, I don't know. I'm my worst critic. And I never say I know something unless I know it firsthand, right? Other than that, it's speculation, of course. Um, <laughs> or when I don't want to admit I know something, I speculate, of course. Um, today, I'm going to let you in on some knowledge, like super knowledge. And it's going to make you feel like, holy crap. Here's the thing. Say, for example, you find out, kind of like, remember those tunnels they found in that KFC where they were smuggling drugs right by the border? You remember that story? And now, you know, people are talking, oh, they're exploding dumbs. And it's like, damn, everything's now that. It's almost like the Pizzagate effect where, you know, people are so shocked that they're following that hole. And what happens with 
your psychology is that once it's hacked and they realize, oh, you like that, they play on it and then they amplify it, kind of like the Denver airport. But see, the Denver airport is a really, really, really good example. And so is Iran, and we're going to talk about it, to show you exactly the crimes that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Barack Obama should all be held accountable for. And this is the missing piece. And Louis Free, former FBI, he should be really concerned. Because, you know, we have Julian Assange right now in jail, right? And yet a criminal was not extradited, thanks to Joe Biden. And we should find out. I mean, did Louis Free help with that? I mean, come on, Christopher Ray, what the fuck are you doing? So we'll talk about that. Now, let's just listen to some words from a rabbi before we take a hiatus and start the real rabbit holes. Can your thoughts actually change reality? And this is a rabbi. And I'm going to play just a couple of minutes of his um, cast here. Uh, This um, rabbi is, hold on, let me share it so you can see it. It's Rabbi Simone Jacobson at Meaningful Life Center. I want you to listen to what he says. Create your reality. Because if indeed our mindset and our way of looking at things can affect the reality around us, that sure would give us a, yes, a, a jump start, a head start in all the challenges that we face. So I remember uh, the very famous, one of the great linebackers in football, the NFL, Lawrence Taylor. So he was known to be able to play even with many injuries. And he was asked once, how, do you, how can you play with all these wounds and injuries? And his answer was, it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. So yes, that can be seen as a joke, a little humorous, but it also has a deep truth to it. I don't know if you remember a number of years ago, there was this book and then a movie called What the Bleep? What the Bleep Do We Know? And it was a combination of quantum mechanics and some uh, spiritual ideas that connected to the fact that the way we perceive things can create our reality. I remember one of the scenes there was that when the Indians, the American Indians, first saw the sh- first, when the first ships started coming to the shores of this country. And the Indians looked, they didn't see ships because they couldn't even imagine or fathom such a reality. So whatever they saw, they dismissed as an illusion. So to what extent do our thoughts affect that reality? It also showcased a Japanese uh, researcher who wrote a book, I believe was The Secrets of Water or something like that, that how he was able to demonstrate. I don't know if this has been replicated, so I'm not going to claim it's scientific and it's fact, but even the theory itself is intriguing. He was able to demonstrate that when there are positive vibes in a room, people are thinking positively, the water crystals themselves form in very harmonious and very balanced way. When there's a lot of tension and stress in the room, the water crystals become all grotesque and are affected by that. So I don't know if that's the case to that extent, but one thing is for sure. You go to a party, you go to an event, you can tell if there's stress in the air, if the hosts are not getting along or in their bad mood, even if you don't know exactly the details, it spills over its attitudes, its vibes, and there are psychosomatic things. 
I remember, I'll just share my own little story. When I was a kid, I was very uh, allergic to ragweed called hay fever. Summers were miserable. When everybody was enjoying a beautiful breeze day for, my, for, for allergy sufferers, from mid-August through September, was horrible. All your passages, your entire plumbing got stuffed up. Your nose, you couldn't stop sneezing. Your throat is tickling, eyes itching. I mean, it, was, it wasn't dangerous generally, but it was just a, a horrible nuisance in such beautiful days. I remember I once had an attack, a, almost an asthmatic attack. They gave me something to clear up my, uh, my breathing passages. And thank God, everything was fine. But at that point, I decided I have to go to an allergist. I went to an allergist in Brooklyn. There was a famous one, Dr. Redner was his name. The first thing he did was, of course, he did these scratch tests. They inject you with the different types of things, ragweed, dust, other pollen. I don't even remember which ones. The two that blew up and I had a real reaction right there was dust and ragweed. Now, it's such a reaction that was really, I mean, horrible. So the doctor immediately gave me an injection of something. Everything cleared up. And I said to him, What's, why don't you just give me these this injections? And I'll have no more allergies. He says, what I just injected you with was with adrenaline. 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 And literally, the day was like, it was like being in paradise. Beautiful summer day. Everything is clear perfectly. So he, I said to him, is that the adrenaline that we generate when we are excited or anticipating something? He said, yeah. So why don't you give that to me? He says, you'll build up immunity to it. You'll need higher dosages, and it could be dangerous. Adrenaline should not should be kept controlled. And then I asked him a question. I said, is it possible? I work on very intense day of my work was Sundays. Why? Because Sunday, and I used to remember the Lubavitcher Rebbe's talks. I had to memorize verbatim hours and hours and hours of talks. And Sundays was, of course, the first day after the Sabbath. And I would sit and have to recreate it. And it was so intense work, I usually did not feel any allergies. I always thought, my nose is, I mean, I'm just not noticing it. Because when you're so busy, with bigger things, you don't notice it. Is it possible, I said, that because I'm doing this very high-level, intense work, with a lot of pressure on me, and on my mind, and all the work I'm doing, is it possible that I'm generating adrenaline, and it's controlling the allergy to some extent? He said, absolutely. And he said to me, you ever see opera singers, concert pianists, actors on Broadway? Or in other type of shows, they can be on stage for hours, and they never sneeze, and they never yawn. It's not just control, he says, because the adrenaline, when it's running, it has a type of superhuman control over your faculties. And he pointed out, he said, when you set your mind to wake up 6 a.m. in the morning, the, the best alarm clock, you don't need any clock. How, do, how does your body know to wake up? Because there's some power of the mind that's not just a spiritual power. It's a, it has a physical effect. It generates chemicals. It activates an atomic chemical reaction, basically. That's it. So we actually can write our own history. And going back to the notion of history, sometimes people look at thesauruses or definitions. Maybe you should look at the root words. And words are spells, and you should know that the word history and story share lineage, which insists that his story is what his story is. Histories are recorded events. Again, recorded events. 
So just another recorded event, and we'll touch on that um, probably on Thursday or Friday. You know, it's important to remember that the FBI now says that they had a bonafide FBI account that was sending child porn to everyone. But at the same time, we do have that U.S. bank fine was fined $37.5 million uh, because they had a fake account scheme going on. It almost sounds like the shit at HSBC when they got busted, right? Almost sounds like amalgamated bank, but you know, whatever, right? I digress. We'll talk about that later because this is kind of old news, but it's, it's also relevant. Now let's take a break. First of all, let's take a break and say goodbye for now to Scotty. Scotty Films has kept me company uh, keeping me sane in so many times, putting together information that normally, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have put together myself. And um, he has decided to take time, you know, to spend time with his family for now, going on to bigger and greater things, I believe, because this is what happens when people do things out of love, out of love for their neighbors, out of love of country. And so it's going to be kind of upsetting for me not seeing his videos, but I think this farewell video that was put together by uh, Team Entheos is, is pretty awesome. And I want us to watch this before we get into the musical interlude to get ready to see what the sauce really is and talk a little bit more about truth. My regular job is handling these and I get along pretty well. The reason I do is because I try to find out what you kids like and then give it to you. I guess we disc jockeys have to respect our audiences because we can't fool them. To stay in business, we have to stay popular. And to stay popular, we have to stay on the level. So, I'm going to level with you. Again, don't know when, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Smile just like you. He will be missed. His videos were amazing. And the way he put them together, completely uh, just about the content, not about the person, the content. Because when you, when you attack the person, right, and not the content, 
then you lose the message. And that is how evil wins. It tells you, don't trust the source. Almost like the stuff they were saying about Jesus. Blasphemous. He's nothing but a carpenter. Look at him hanging out with whores and thieves. See, I think, you know, for those that want to be Christ-like, and that goes for um, two religions, right? Believe it or not, Muslims strive to be Christ-like. Even though they don't say he's the Messiah, they consider him a prophet, right? They still strive to be Christ-like, as Christians should too. Now let's take a quick break so we can wake up and shift some gears. It's almost never a good time to have a conversation about what is true and what is false. But let's be completely transparent. Almost everyone around the world is swimming with thoughts. Are they just telling me because they want me to click? Is this the truth? Is this false? What's the story behind this? It's almost as if it can't be wrong, as if it's an illustration. Well, what does story mean? It's an account of incidents or events, a statement regarding the facts pertinent to a situation or event or a fictional narrative or a widely circulated rumor. So as you look and scour the internet to find facts that will satisfy you and no other, you seem to not know where to start or where to look. It's a story. What does that mean? Is it a fairy tale? Is it a fictional narrative? Is it a rumor like Russia hoax? Or is it fact? And this is where understanding what truth means comes in. It's a temporarily belief of an occurrence or of something you know at that moment. So the truth, in other words, can change. Well, that all depends on the person in the eye of the beholder. Because an event is something that happens, a noteworthy happening, or something damaging, or a postulated outcome or condition. Just, it's an event, and it almost feels like every story, every report we see, it's almost like a nesting doll that the true story is hidden within. And that means that the possibility of what truth is, is immense, especially when you have access to a vast amount of information. So how do you discern? Well, this is the state of America right now. We are in what we would call a Gettier problem. That is the problem we have. What is true and what is false. And the more we look, the more we feel engulfed as if we're being warped into one specific narrative through repetition and cognitive ease and cognitive biases. 
But maybe there is a story behind a story. Maybe there's a story that your eyes cannot see, not because you're blind, but because your mind does not allow you. And as you will see, as we touch upon the Gettier problem, I will introduce you to the newest documentary that will be coming soon. And that is Truths. As our minds ponder the millions of possibilities that can exist from a story or an event, in mystery, in beauty, in evil intent, ah, we always reflect what we feel. The truth is indeed stranger than fiction. And the truth is not everything it's cut out to be, because it may be scary and you may feel comfort in the millions of possibilities. In the end, it's okay not to know what's going on. It's okay to not know. The Matrix, a science fiction film created by the Wachowskis, is probably one of the most influential movies ever made. The story starts when computer programmer Thomas Anderson, operating as a hacker under the alias Neo, discovers the truth about the world he's living in, as he becomes aware of the existence of something known as the Matrix. After looking for a man named Morpheus, who can tell him more about the Matrix, he encounters another hacker named Trinity. After a failed attempt, which led to Agent Smith capturing and bugging him, Trinity takes Neo to Morpheus. Morpheus vaguely describes the Matrix as this all-encompassing prison, as the world that has been pulled over Neo's eyes, blinding him from the truth. He also admits that no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself, he states. So Neo gets offered a choice in the form of two pills, a blue one and a red one. If he chooses the blue pill, he remains in his everyday life and believes whatever he wants to believe. But if he chooses the red pill, he'll set foot in the real world and find out what the Matrix truly is. All I'm offering is the truth, says Morpheus. And so Neo takes the red pill and tumbles down the rabbit hole. The Matrix is considered a philosophical film that contains many existing philosophical and religious themes like prophecy, love, truth, karma, the nature of reality and living in a simulation. But there seems to be a particular close connection between The Matrix and Plato's allegory of the cave. In this allegory, presented in Plato's Republic, Socrates describes a group of people chained to a wall within a cave their whole lives. The only reality they know of is the mere shadows projected on the wall in front of them, and they believe these are real entities. Then one of the prisoners is freed. He leaves the cave and gets to experience the real world outside. But when he returns to the cave to enlighten the other prisoners with the truth, he faces resistance. This video analyzes the shortly matrix. after his liberation, Neo initially refuses to accept the truth. No, I don't believe it. It's impossible, he says, after Morpheus showed him what the Matrix is. He showed a typical reaction of someone confronted with the harsh reality, as the architect of the Matrix states in the sequel, denial is the most predictable of all human responses. We can see this when, for example, we discover that one of our parents isn't our biological parent, 
or the person we consider our greatest enemy turns out to be our parent. In such cases, the truth carries such a magnitude that accepting it shakes one's identity to its very foundations. Such a massive shift in perception generally terrifies people. Neo asks Morpheus, I can't go back, can I? To which Morpheus answers, but if you could, would you really want to? Flat out disregard of the truth is common. Many people prefer living in a safe bubble of lies to looking outside for the truth. Living in a cozy false reality can be pretty convenient and comfortable. You just have to remain ignorant of everything that could burst your bubble. So instead, you go along with the deceptive narrative of the herd, often amplified by mass media and entertainment. But we also see the opposite happening, like people opposing common knowledge, adopting a false truth, like the idea that Earth is flat. So truth, by and large, can be easily fabricated. I want to know truth. Everyone wants to know truth. But what is truth? People argue about truth. Argue opinion truths, which football team is best. Argue value truths, justice or mercy. Argue ultimate truths, does God exist? But people also fight about truth. What's the best political system? Which is the true religion? Over these truths, tragically, much blood has been shed. Truth is serious stuff. I want to know truth, especially ultimate truth. But first, what is truth? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and closer to truth is my struggle to find out. To ask a distinguished philosopher of mind and language, a former editor of the journal Mind, Simon Blackburn. Simon, philosophers tell me that this concept of truth is really not so simple. Why? Well, the standard thing that everybody starts by saying about truth is that truth is correspondence with the facts. Uh, and that's, that's true. That's a good thing to say. Um, the problem is it's not quite as illuminating as one might hope. And part of the trouble is with the notion of a fact. So, for example, to make that problematic you might ask yourself whether, for example, there are any negative facts. Um, take the fact that there's no rhinoceros in this room. What makes that true? The absence of a rhinoceros? What's an absence? It's not a thing that you can touch or, or weigh or whatever. Um, and there are, more, there are other things too. There are hypothetical facts. Conditionals are true, we say. But is there a truth of the form that if one thing, then another? There are general propositions which, whose truth is mysterious. And then, of course, there are particular mysteries, like the mystery of mathematical truth or the mystery of moral truth. The majority of philosophers these days probably subscribe to a thing called deflationism, which is fundamentally the idea that there's nothing abstract to say about truth. And Pontius Pilate asked the famous abstract question, and the deflationist says the right answer to Pontius Pilate wasn't to start on a philosophical treatise about the nature of truth, but was to say, what are you interested in? And if Pilate then gives you the answer, I'm interested in whether this chap's guilty, let's say, 
Well, he's got an inquiry to conduct. We know how to conduct inquiries into whether somebody's guilty. That's an empirical inquiry. You could use the police, whatever else you've got. So for, for the, what you've got to do is, as it were, come down from the abstraction to any particular thing you're interested in. And then asking whether that's true is actually asking a question that can be framed without the notion of truth. Because it's true that this man's guilty just means this man's guilty. So Pilate's question should have been, is this man guilty? And that's a question which you can ask without involving any notion of truth. What is truth? No good friend would ask such a difficult question as that. I'm just about to wash my hands. But anyway, it seems to me that the whole notion of truth has gone through a very rough period. Ramsey, the great Cambridge philosopher who died young, famously said, to assert that P and to assert that P is true is to assert the same thing. So the little predicate is true is entirely redundant. So he was the father of the minimalist approach to truth, that there's nothing in truth at all. Of course, there are much older conceptions of truth. The correspondence theory, the most easy way of thinking about truth is of the correspondence between assertions and states of affairs out there. That's always difficult because the assertions and the states of affairs are not clearly separate. Those states of affairs are picked out by the assertions. That's what made people pretty anxious about the correspondence theory of truth. The other theory is a coherence theory, the idea that a particular proposition is true if it coheres with other propositions, and that scientific truth, for example, is a great mountain of coherent propositions of larger and larger generality. And the third notion, of course, most famously from your own country, is pragmatism, the notion that truth is that which essentially works. And that's been picked up by evolutionary theorists as well, that uh, basically our conceptions of truth are simply things that help us to survive, help us to plug more comfortably uh, into our environment. So well, that's, all of these seem true in their own way. I think they are, and I think the truth about truth is very complex, and namely that correspondence probably is one of the fundamental building blocks of truth. But clearly, coherence is another part. Co- correspondent truths have to cohere, and that clearly what truths we pick out depends on what we're interested in. So to some extent, pragmatism is also has a part to play. But of course, the minimalists are right as well, because if you think of truth as a stuff or there being a single truth to which all propositions converge, or if you think of truth as a predicate, then you're going to be very disappointed. The people who have got it completely wrong are the relativists, those who say there is no such thing as truth, because, as has been pointed out endlessly, although they've never noticed, that essentially uh, they have uh, undermining their own position. The assertion that there is no truth is obviously a general truth or a claim to a general truth, uh, which is greater than most of the truths most of us can actually subscribe to. Those, those attacks of, on relativism by it being uh, internally uh, uh, inconsistent or contradictory, uh, I, I think is a cheap shot because it's, a, it's something you can say about a lot of things. The argument of the relativist is that because we can only know things through our senses and our brains and ourselves, that we are arrogant to assume that what we are sensing about the world is the world in reality. Let me pick up one of your observations. We can only know things through our brains. What's, what's the status of that truth? A generally a materialistic worldview, that unless you're getting something logically or through your senses, we really can't know anything about it. And I would like to ask you, how do we know that, that we know things only through our brain's senses? Where do we get this sense of only from? That the burden of proof is on the other side, because the brain and our senses are, are, what, are all that we see see through. I mean, it's, it's, it's self-evident. And if that's not the case, 
then it's up to you to show me why. But it, I have no problem that, you know, if, if you took away my body, I wouldn't be in receipt of much information. All that I'm perfectly happy about. But uh, I'm not sure how you can conclude from that that we cannot arrive at objective truths. Because what, uh, what the, the, the relativist says is that because we are using our mental capacity to discern the world, we are bringing to that world uh, our own uh, biases and prejudices. And, and the, the simple demonstration of that is look at visual illusions that you, you see on paper, where you see it two different ways and it flips around. And, and it, it, the paper is not changing. There you go. You see. Our brains are, are, are interpreting it in different ways. So if, that, if the outside world is not changing, but we see it, isn't that not a, a make us be, be a, a little bit humble in terms of our seeing absolute objective truth on the world? But the fact that we can see that an illusion is an illusion, and that, for example, I don't think you sitting in front of me is an illusion, whereas if I saw two of you, because I had uh, taken some tablets, then clearly I would think it was an illusion. So in other words, most of our experiences are not illusory in that sense. The argument from illusion that because some experiences are illusory means that all experiences are illusory, I think can be easily refuted. As Gilbert Ryle said, you know, you cannot have counterfeit, counterfeit coins if you don't have a coinage that's produced in the proper way. He also used the word bias. The very concept of a bias shows that we're able, as it were, to recover from our narrow perspective to the point where we actually have a science that's built up a set of statements that actually looks quite different, uh, sees the world quite differently from the data we get from our sense perception. Is, is this a descent into what's called skepticism, where you, you, can, you can't say you know anything? Well, it's, it's heading that way, isn't it? Yeah, but, but I mean, just on a common sense, it, it, it's every, everything in existence is a matter of probabilistics. Yes, but so that appeals fall? to common sense cut in two directions. I mean, also, it's common sense that we know all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, we've got hands, we're talking to each other. Right. I mean, that's common sense too. Right. But the, 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 the trouble is that the various aspects of common sense, when you think them through, mm. start to collide with each mm. other, mm. and then common sense can't just uh, rest content with itself, as it were. How do you deal with religious knowledge or, or claims for, uh, even more general than that, claims for knowledge beyond the, the normal or so, beyond so the real. I, I think you can break it down in a few ways. I mean, even if there is a God, take the best case scenario right. for the theist, as it were. Right. There is a God. Uh, God made the world. God uh, appeared to Moses. Moses wrote some stuff down. Right. Supposing that's all, all right, all true, should we conclude people in the good case scenario know that? There's right. a God by, say, reading the, the, the bits of Scripture. And even assuming all that is, is quite a, a delicate question. I mean, if we go to more, a more mundane setting, I mean, suppose a sports reporter watches a game and then, you know, uh, filters through the newspapers. Interesting thing to ask yourself is, well, do you know there's not a misprint there? <laughs> I mean, supposing, in fact, there isn't. It's the good case scenario. Yeah. It's still not straightforward right. uh, to answer the question, does the recipient of the newspaper know that there isn't a misprint? Because right. it looks like that if they can know the sports score, that they can know there isn't a misprint. But it's really wacky to think that they can know there's not a misprint. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the sort of end of things where the philosopher might have something to say. Of course, you're not going to convince 
skeptics that you know. Right. I mean, that's asking for too much always. Always. So right. you shouldn't be thinking, how do I show to the skeptic that I know? You should be thinking, how do I satisfy myself in, in, even in the good case scenario? That, that I'm rational. That, that I'm rational or that I know. But you can justify it to yourself that you are rational? Well, that's, that's the lesser ambition. Can you at least produce defensive moves against arguments that show that you're irrational? I mean, there are some arguments designed to show that even in the good case scenario, you're irrational. <laughs> I mean, if I have a box and there's a beetle in the box and you can't see in the box, you'd be irrational to believe that there's a beetle in the box, <laughs> even if it's right. Even in the good case scenario, when there is a beetle in the box, if you believe there's a beetle in the box, when the beetle's hidden in the box, <laughs> then you're like a bit weird, you know? So one line of thought is, well, even in the good case scenario, as a God for all intents and purposes... God's like a beetle in the box, and so even if he's there, it's irrational to believe in him. So I think the thing that a sort of a religious philosopher theist should be doing is try to show how, in the good case scenario, things are very different to the beetle in the box scenario, and it would, at least in the good case scenario, be a case of knowledgeable belief. John, what is truth? Is there an objective truth? How do we address those kinds of questions? There are certain objective truths, such as the truths of mathematics. Two plus two equals four is an objective truth because it's true by definition. I mean, ultimately, the system of mathematics is a definitional system, but everything else uh, involves our own interpretation. By everything else, I mean everything we, we perceive. That This is the critical realist principle. Uh, the, the human mind is all the time interpreting. When I see you as a solid object, I'm interpreting memory. I'm drawing upon memory of the past. Um, I've, I've found in the past that I go behind things and find that they were solid and so on. And in religion, I would say that by faith, we mean the interpretative element in our religious awareness. In our religious awareness, there is interpretation of our experience. This is faith. That is to say, it's not capable of proof. It's how the mind, our minds function and what we do. We interpret all the time. If that's the case, if we are interpreting all the time, that certainly reflects the neuroscience of, uh, of, of how we exist. Yeah. Should that make us more humble in our declarations of what we believe to be true about almost anything? I think it should, yes. Well, that, that's a little scary. Well, yes, but then um, the more one thinks about things, the more scary they are. Don't so if we have this uh, interpretative uh, aspect to us that is so critical to what we have, the more we go into things like religion, yeah. the more powerful that becomes. That's, yes, indeed, yes. How then can I believe anything, <laughs> especially in religion? Yes, well, ultimately it all comes back to uh, religious experience and the transformation of experience in, in a very, very vivid way, which um, causes one to take a religious view. Well, I guess I'm out of luck then, because I haven't had one. No, I know. Well, that's just too bad. <laughs> <laughs>
Research has shown that if you're repeatedly exposed to the phrase, the body temperature of a chicken, that's right, the body temperature of a chicken, even if no useful information is given about the body temperature of a chicken, you are more likely to judge as true this statement. The body temperature of a chicken is 34 degrees Celsius. It's not, by the way, it's actually closer to 41. But this finding highlights an important aspect of our psychology that plays a huge role in how we see the world. The things we're exposed to repeatedly feel more true. Now, the way this seems to work is through a mechanism called cognitive ease. Cognitive ease is a measure of how hard your brain is working, from easy, like when you're scrolling through Facebook, to hard, like if you're trying to multiply 14 times 37 in your head. Things that are true generally elicit cognitive ease, like fire is hot, earth revolves around the sun, dogs have four legs, and so on. Not only do these things feel true, they also feel familiar, effortless, and they feel good. All of these are outcomes of cognitive ease. Now, the trouble arises because cognitive ease can be artificially created in other ways. One way is just by repeating the stimulus. In a classic experiment at two Michigan universities, experimenters took out ads in the school newspapers. Each ad consisted only of one of these nonsense words. Cardiga, Sarisic, Baiwani, Nansoma, Ekitaf. They were printed with different frequencies. One word appeared in the paper only once, while others appeared two, five, ten, or twenty-five times. The word frequencies were reversed at the other university. At the end of the experiment, researchers sent out questionnaires asking people to rate the meaning of each of these nonsense words on a scale from it means something good to it means something bad. And the findings were clear. The more frequently the word had appeared in the newspaper, the more people felt it meant something good. So with enough repetition, even a nonsense word comes to feel familiar. It triggers cognitive ease and overall feelings of goodness. Experiments have shown that this also works when showing English speakers Chinese characters or even random shapes. And the finding is even more general than that. Songs are judged more favorably after you've listened to them a bunch of times than on the first listening. And participants looking at yearbook photos judge the people in the photos as more likable after seeing that photo more times. Which that brings up the question, what are the Kardashians famous for? Depending on who you ask, you may find that they're famous for nothing or just famous for being famous. But really, they are famous for exactly the same reason anyone is famous. And that's because you've heard their names and seen their faces over and over again. Now, they are familiar. You have experience with them in the past, and therefore they are processed with cognitive ease, which also feels good. This is at the core of the advertising industry. The idea that repeated often enough, even brown carbonated sugar water seems really appealing. But maybe it shouldn't be surprising that repeated stimuli are perceived more favorably. After all, our brains have evolved to identify threats, and anything novel is a potential threat. But if after repeated exposure nothing bad happens, it becomes familiar and comfortable and therefore a sign of safety rather than a threat. And this general phenomenon extends beyond humans. Chicks who were played a tone when they were in the egg later made fewer distress calls when the same tone was played to them as chicks. But repetition is not the only way to create cognitive ease. Images with higher contrast are perceived by the brain with more cognitive ease, making them feel good, which explains most of the Instagram filters. In another study, people who were shown images where the outline was projected quickly and imperceptibly before the image, they started to smile and they relaxed their brows as measured by electrodes on the audio quality videos and low contrast create cognitive strain as you try to figure out what's going on possibly searching for threats. You may not have noticed just now, but your brows probably furrowed and your mouth started to frown, which is why we prefer high contrast video with crisp audio. And the same applies to text. 
So which of these statements do you think is true? Well, actually, it's a trick question. He was born in 1879. But studies have shown that people will often choose the more legible answer. Nice, contrasty, bold text is easier and quicker to read. It's handled with more cognitive ease and is therefore judged to be more true. Lawyers with easily pronounced last names are overrepresented higher up the chain in law firms, even controlling for rarity and ethnicity of the names. And even companies that have pronounceable abbreviations on the stock market outperform those with unpronounceable tags, which you'll be happy to know if you have stock in those companies. And being happy, in fact, that makes you more likely to experience cognitive ease as well. This, in turn, makes you more intuitive. Try this. What connects these three things? Cottage Swiss cake. All English speakers recognize a unique solution: cheese. How about sky bulb? High. The answer is light. Now, not all sets of three words share a connection, of course. But what's amazing is experiments have shown people can determine whether they do or not in only a few seconds, long before they figure out what the actual association is. This is due to the sensation of cognitive ease. Somewhere deep in the brain, these associations cause a flicker of recognition, which feels pleasant. It's the same reason why people say to go with your gut on multiple choice tests if you're not exactly sure of the answer. So information comes in like a fire hose, where you just want it to stop at a drip because there's just too much coming from too many sides. And as you watch the news and watch your influencers and your social media, which is your new public square of discussion, you're trying to find ways to discern. Well. Discernment comes with the ability to be objective, and to be able to stand back and take a bigger picture, removing yourself from the situation to see the story behind the story. The story you're told on the big screen or on your airwaves may not be the real one. And as you assess all the information that contradicts the initial story, and then you follow the contradicting information to find more contradicting information, you come down to one bit: is it the content of the story, or is it the content of the occurrence? What is really happening? Your mind, as it tries to filter information, it falls back on cognitive. What makes you feel safer? What makes you feel better? That is the whole purpose of your mind to put you at ease. So as your brain is on fire and you're throwing a fire hose of information to put it out, so you're not craving it. The only thing you think of is I want to find the truth. And well, I can tell you this: love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. Love is always the answer. And in this digital age of continuous information, there are stories within stories within stories, an unlimited basket of rabbit holes that you can jump into. And so one would say, "What is the truth?" Well, people will tell you it depends on the person. Who's receiving the truth? And how is that so? They say it's religion, ah, tainting the faith. I tell you this: there's always a story within a story, and throughout time, stories are rewritten right under your nose. But the fun part is, 
is to write your own story, to be the story. And so as others put a story within a story, creating a barrage of babushkas, where a story is to cover another story to cover another story, and then another story to cover another story and another story and another story, and then again and again and again and again. Soon, you'll realize how truth shines bright, but when it does, darkness is even darker. Don't forget to subscribe and share, because what I'm about to show you is the what if story within a story coming this spring. Мы закончили и успешно провели чемпионат мира по футболу. Господин президент, вы этот мяч передать, теперь мяч на его стороне. Тем более, что США должны будут проводить чемпионат мира 2026. In quantum physics, possibilities are endless. Occurrences are endless and happen simultaneously. Therefore, as you write your story, as we write our story, we decide the occurrences and therefore we decide the truth, not the story. The story is what's being told. It's a narrative. We don't need a narrative. We need truth. And we get to write that truth by writing our history. Well, like I said, I'm going to be shutting down the feeds um, on YouTube, Twitter, well, Twitter as well, and Facebook. So, you know, if you want to know what's happening... Here's a picture on my Instagram. This is President Trump sitting in Winston Churchill's chair. When I saw that, the first thing that came to mind, history will be kind to me because I intend to write it. And what we need to realize is while we feel overwhelmed and we have a uh, insane need to find the truth, you know, it's like that quote, you can't handle the truth. But today, and this is why I'm terminating the feeds. And it, this will only be on Rumble until I'm done. I believe you'll be able to hear this on audio, but it's not the same. We're going to go down a rabbit hole of the Denver airport, but the one in Romania. <laughs> You're going to be like, what? See, the Denver airport is attractive. People lose their minds. And you know what? They love it. Because the truth is hidden overtly. Manufactured consent through movies, as you've seen in the documentary, Enjoy the Show. Well, now you're going to see our history, our documented occurrences, because we're writing it. And that's the what if, as you saw a sneak peek into what if, in that slight moment where the babushka was a story among a story and a story and a story. <laughs> You saw a different story right there.
that coulda, woulda, what if, or maybe is. So we're going to take a nice musical interlude while I kill the feeds. And we'll be right back with the Denver airport in Romania. Huh? I hope you guys enjoy it. So what if Ed Sheeran's Bad Habits was a Christian song by Becca Shea? Enjoy the interlude. And those of you watching on other channels, hop on to my rumble. Because if you want to go down a rabbit hole, well, here's the one where you're actually going to hit the bottom and see what's really happening. My best habits lead to late nights with you alone Conversations with your spirit, they're in my soul Being still but moving fast cause it's just how it goes I've got nothing left to prove, it's you I, I hope all of you have enjoyed Becca Shea's videos I mean, you know, I'm, I, I've been constantly getting knocked off on iCloud because I, <laughs> I um, gave my, my niece my old iWatch and I think she was trying to reset the password and it was driving me insane. But um, as I was doing that, I saw that the Becca Shea, I'm, I'm trying to purchase and it's like almost as if iTunes. Um, I don't know if it's the right one, so I have to check. But this woman's music is off the chain, taking what was intended for evil and turning it into good. Kind of like that. So let's revisit the beginning of the show quickly. And this is a BBC snippet. We're going to watch just a couple minutes just to refresh our minds of how we like to confirm the things we like to believe. And this will take you to the level of this is what the problem is with information, right? You know, I remember uh, years ago, I even said, you know, I don't trust any of these people on Fox. They say one thing on TV. They talk shit in the back. Now we have all these texts revealing, oh, that's true. Wait till you see what they see at dinner. I mean, it's, it's almost incredible, almost like we're writing the script. Roofs on fire. Totally are. Told you uh, when it happened. FEMA said no. Trump said I'm coming. FEMA says yes. President Trump reinforced that. We'll go through a speech at a lot of time. Right now, that's not what it's, what is important. As I've said many times, no one has to listen to me. No one has to listen to anyone. You could just listen to your president if you want to know, or you could take a peek at pictures because he's telling you everything you need to know. Now, having said that, let's revisit that little bit because these guys on the BBC, Talk about how we fall victim to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Well, cognitive biases to bring cognitive ease and how we think we know everything because, you know, it's kind of like that. I still can't get that out of my mind. That someone just hopped onto my story and they were like, what you're saying is true because Stu Peter said it. And I was like, when has Stu Peters or anybody for that matter, even me, been the holder of truth? Like, if you don't know this firsthand, you don't know shit. And when people talk about the Hunter Biden laptop, oh, he did crack, cocaine, hookers, child pornography. Yes, yes, yes. He made a lot of money. Yes, yes, yes. But where are the real crimes? The global crimes so you can pop off the top of this pot that's been boiling and everyone's pretending that there are certain people that don't exist. And so in order to understand that, you have to understand how they hide things from you. And this is the point of today's episode. 
how do they hide things from you? One, you just accept information because it fulfills you. So if you're upset with someone, right, you're going to go and attach yourself to more people that are resonating in that low level hate thing. I'm so much better. I'm so not this. And, and then it's like this nitpicking. And then you get the black pillars. Everyone's shit. And I'm the best. And I'm this. And I'm going to call them all out. And it's like, fuck you. Okay. No, we don't need this. We have enough this, right? We have enough because we're going to be out of water. And I've been talking about the water for a very long time because we're going to be without it. This is a water grab. The railroad wasn't supposed to happen yet, but this is the extent of warp speed. I mean, think of it this way. They do, you respond. They do, you respond. The rope is tight. But what if you pop off a firecracker five down five months down the line? Well, then they're going to have to pop off the other four, and then it goes all pear-shaped. I stand by my first observation. Do wine look like, damn, we didn't expect this? I mean, why would the fire chief blow shit up and not have the U.S. Army Corps engineers or the National Guard there? Because <laughs> it wasn't supposed to happen now. And unfortunately, there was cargo there you weren't supposed to see. So now everyone who's been reporting is reporting whatever was on the manifest, which was their original plan in order to pollute and say, oh my gosh, our infrastructure failed. And and then you have to think, did it fail all over the world at the same time? Because that's what it's looking like. Seems almost like how everyone was infected all over the world at the same time when COVID happened. It's like, hello, hello, can you see it now? And so when I was like, hey, don't talk about this like it's a fucking Chernobyl. It's not that. It's not that. Yes, it's destroyed. Yes, the people are left in shambles. Yes. But that's not the main goal. It's not the main goal. So funny that a copper plant in Bedford, Ohio was on fire. Copper. What were the purposes of the copper? Oh, oh, that's right. Water. Everything that Biden said at his State of the Union, which was, we need to rebuild our infrastructure, have better railways, and uh, um, and we need more copper piping for good water. And it's like, and then suddenly all this happens, and everyone's like, oh my God, this is Chernobyl, and China is like on fire with it on the day. And I'm like looking at our media, and it's the right that's pandering to Chinese statements, and instead of saying, wait, wait, hold on a second, who did the explosion? Because this was exploded at a one mile radius for shrapnel, if you remember. So who did this? What? What do you mean a fire chief? Huh? That's not how it works. Why don't we have any pitch tents? That's not how it works. Nobody sat and saw that. Instead, they were busy with UFOs when that popped off, when it wasn't supposed to happen. That was supposed to come down the line. And then everyone's talking about, you know, water, water. And I showcased Bailey before, Bailey Saren, who does, she does dark history on YouTube. I freaking love her. She does makeup and tells, you know, murder stories, right? And then people are waking up to Nestle. We had this conversation before about Nestle and what water you should be drinking. And we talked about the Berkeys. We talked about the counter, uh, you know, filters. Talk about this because this was key. Now, <laughs> Jordan, you could have just come out that they're grabbing a water, okay? And you'd be like, no, it rains and there's like so much. And uh, and it's like, there's always a time and a place for everything. And if you speak to someone who is deaf, they will not hear you because you're speaking too fast. Obviously, if you take your time, the deaf man can suddenly hear. And so this is the point. And then, you know, Nestle, they're actually going to be popped off. And I'm going to get in contact with this lawyer 
who I saw is going after them. Remember, Nestle not only owns most of the water on this planet and has easements across our nation, but they also are in charge of baby formulas. Didn't we have a shortage of that? We fucking did. Here's another thing. They own Purina and it makes food. Remember chickens and the shortage of eggs? It turns out that Purina had, what is this? Get this, birth control for fucking chickens. And so now people are realizing that they were pay- they were feeding their chickens with Purina feed, which is Nestle, by the way. And their chickens weren't laying eggs, which caused an egg shortage, right? And that was the minute they took them off the feed, they were fine. So they've actually put birth control in your animal food to feed your chickens. Ah, Nestle is going to be in a lot of trouble. See, because sometimes when you want to target someone, you don't go, hey, you're taking the water. Hey, you're controlling water. Hey, you're, you're killing us, right? Flint was just an observation for you. Flint was the beginning of this. Flint, Michigan, was the beginning of everything, of setting the plan in motion. Hence why Hillary had to win. And hence why Obama right now is trying to push this forward. But hey, warp speed, man. We gotcha. So Nestle... To get an avenue on Nestle's activities, there's a class action suit that's going to be filed against their chicken feed for making their hens, get this, unable to lay eggs. So uh, then it goes down to dog food where they were killing your dogs with Beneful, I think. You know, there are a lot of things that Nestle does. So baby shortage formula, Nestle. Water, Nestle. All right. So now that we have some actual factual occurrences that have happened. Let's discern between truth or perspective truth, right? Because that's what we have. I, I see people saying, we're in the truther movement. What the fuck does that mean? How do you know it's true? Where are you from again? What were you making? Smoothies? How the fuck do you know the truth? Oh, that's right. You're part of one of those groups that see one certain color of the ball and you have your leader and you take note and continue. That's what you call truth? That's bullshit. Truth is being objective. Truth is pointing out occurrences. That is truth. And I highly suggest that people watch Bailey Sarian's video on Nestle that she did a year ago, which was fantastic. I don't know if it was prompted because of my show. I mean, I am a fan of this woman. Um, You know, she's doing her thing and she's pretty good at what she does. She's a great storyteller story. Ah. Ah. Now, let's revisit this for just a couple minutes. It's important that you revisit how we fall for this. Admit when we might be wrong. In an increasingly polarized world, it seems as if people are becoming more convinced of their own beliefs and less willing to contemplate other points of view. But could this be to the detriment of our intelligence? Could having a sense of intellectual humility actually be key to making us smarter? One of the new topics that's come into conversation in a lot of different circles in society is the idea of intellectual humility, uh, that we should be humble in our opinions, uh, humble in our beliefs and in our conclusions. We have to know our limits, and we have to tolerate those who disagree with us because they may have a kernel or more of a kernel of truth than we actually believe. One way to think about intellectual humility and intelligence is that no matter... How smart you are, how much school you've had, none of us are inoculated from uh, getting things wrong now and then. We're all intellectually fallible. Why do we struggle so much to understand and admit to the limits of our knowledge? Social media often feels like it's full of people offering confident opinions on things they really know little about. But what fuels this overconfidence? And are we all susceptible to it? 
The Dunning-Kruger effect is that when you lack knowledge or expertise, you're not in a position to realize that you lack knowledge and expertise. And the reason this happens is because often the expertise you need to come to a correct decision is exactly the same expertise you need to be able to evaluate whether or not that is the right decision. One thing to recognize is that the Dunning-Kruger effect sooner or later is inevitable. It'll happen to all of us. We all have pockets of incompetence. Uh, we all make errors. And those are the moments we step into the effect and don't know that we're stepping into the effect. People often assume that people deny their incompetence because they're in denial. They know it's there, but they don't want to admit it's there either to you or to themselves. Actually, what our work suggests is that our errors are simply invisible to us. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a part of the ingredient in this mix, in this stew, of uh, intellectual humility and the need for intellectual humility. So the work that I do does suggest that we should be a little bit more intellectually humble. If we truly want to know, uh, sometimes it means recognizing when we don't know. And that's it. It's okay not to know. It's really okay not to know. There are a lot of things that I've said on air. I have no idea how to do, or I have no idea what's happening here. And times that I don't have an idea what's happening, or I'm still assessing the situation, I will sit back and I will pull information from everywhere. Like for example, the Crasserstein brothers are back online. I watch them. And, you know, he was all excited about stuff. And I was like, dude, why are you so excited about women's reproductive? Are you getting a uterus and you're excited? Like, you have to look at all sides. Because I see a lot of people, even in the chats, online, on social media, they get this ugly in them, but they also show their true face. I'm not listening to this. This is, this is the only truth. And it's like, well, then you are a victim of the dying career effect period. And you're not paying attention. Well, so-and-so said so, so it's got to be. For example, what was amazing is people actually found the submarine thing. And this is where we're going to go. This is what prompted me, you know, and then Google scrubbed it, right? Are you paying attention? Now, I want to tell you guys, I'm going to make a statement and you don't have to take it as true, but assess it as a statement. There are submarines parked at our maritime borders of other nations. Our Japanese bases are being filled as we speak. People are to be deployed, as I said, with that letter from uh, the two generals. That one was leaked from the Pentagon to me, where it says that we are literally going to war. I can't showcase the letter. I'm thinking of just copy and pasting some of it and changing the words or, you know, so that way the source can't be determined because that's important because every general wrote for his branch, something different, and that could be traced. But I'm telling you that these two branches have already dictated that we're going to war. So I'm going to tell you something about the mystery behind the Denver airport. (laughs) It is a conspiracy theory, kind of like invented, created, and amplified to hide in plain sight, almost like Pizzagate, where they had that actor, Edgar Madison, right? Um, What was his name? Shoot. Madison Edgar? Shit. I forget. I'm like walking Google, but I'm in a focus right now. So let me just continue. So the guy that shot up the Comet Pizza Pong, or he went to go to Comet Ping Pong, that was an op. That was to get you to see everything as pedophiles when in actual fact, it's you're a cow, you're like a piggy in a pen, 
and they're picking at you. And once you stop serving that purpose, they'll do that. You are more important than other piggies because other piggies, they want the organs, right? And you're going to be like, oh my God, and they're experimenting. Again, we can go down that Jeffrey Epstein rabbit hole. But here we're talking Denver International Airport. I'm going to show you exactly what Joe Biden and Barack Hussein Obama did. And then I'm going to show you how Joe, as alleged president right now, has released a criminal that helped in that criminal enterprise. Now, many will say you shouldn't say this. Well, I'm going to remind you that I talked about it during elections. I, do, I, don't, I don't think I put it in my affidavit. I think I took it out from my original write-up, which was insanely long, and statements that I made. But I did say one thing. Bucharest is the only place we have zero latency when transferring data, and I'll show you why. So let's go to this um, infographic show. You guys know I love that show. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all the information they're putting out, but here's where cognitive biases kick in and cognitive ease. Because they're uh, a big channel with a big following, you take it as truth. So let's take a look at what they're telling you about Denver Airport. Let's take a look. Made possible by Wix. If you're ready to create a website, head over to Wix.com in secrecy, riddled with weird statues and creepy art, and is a place of strange stories and myths. People even questioned why Den Airport was built in the first place. The current airport opened in 1995, but there was a fully functioning one closer to downtown. This new version is twice the size of Manhattan, and the development went $2 billion over budget. But even before the current Denver International Airport opened, it was the subject of countless conspiracy theories. Is there any truth behind the rumors? That's what we intend to get to the bottom of in this episode of The Infographic Show. A cursed airport? The Denver Airport. A quick Google search on Den Airport brings back numerous stories from both mainstream media and independent conspiracy sites. So something's clearly going on. Before we get into the conspiracy stories, let's first take a tour of the inside of this creepy, gigantic building. It's famous for its terrifying 32-foot-tall statue of a giant horse with fiery, glowing eyes. The Denver locals call him Blucifer, according to media outlet Slate. But even freakier is the odd story of the red-eyed statue called Blue Mustang that killed its sculptor Luis Jimenez. It fell on him and severed an artery. And inside the airport, there are more disturbing art pieces, including a mural of a devil jumping out of a suitcase and a statue of Anubis, the ancient Egyptian god of death. Some of the more controversial art pieces have now been removed, including a character that resembled a Nazi officer in a gas mask, children in front of a burning building, and kids gathered around a knife. Not the usual style you'd expect from an airport terminal building. So what about the conspiracy theories that surround Den Airport? One that's talked about a lot is the shape of the runways. An aerial view of the runways at the airport shows that they resemble the shape of a swastika. And this is not a typical formation for an airport's runways. The explanation from an airport representative is that the runways are designed that way so that they can be used simultaneously regardless of the weather patterns. She told the UK newspaper The Telegraph, We think the shape looks like a pinwheel. But in the same Telegraph article, it was also pointed out that New York's JFK and the Las Vegas and Miami airports all have very different layouts. So this certainly gives us something to think about. 
There are also dedication markers and plaques around the airport with some rather odd symbolism on them that looks like the Masonic Square. This has led to other conspiracies claiming that construction of the new airport was funded by the New World Airport Commission. However, when you search for that name, it seems to come up only in connection with Den Airport, which has led others to draw the conclusion that the airport is actually funded by the Nazi group the New World Order. The date of the airport's dedication also happens to be March 19, 1994. If you add those numbers together, 191994, you get 33. This is the highest level one can achieve in Freemasonry, which represents perfection, and that Masonic Square also links to the Illuminati group, of course. So the book is out on this one. New World Order, Freemasonry, Illuminati, or just a coincidence? We wanted to find out the root of this conspiracy, and it seems the theory of the airport being the Illuminati headquarters gained ground when it was covered on Jesse Ventura's woke TV show Conspiracy Theory in 2010. It gained so much ground, in fact, that many of the mainstream news outlets have investigated the theory, and in 2016 the airport CEO, Kim Day, had to make a statement in response to it. She said, whether it's because of our impressive size, expansive infrastructure, or robust public art program, Denver International Airport has long heard the rumors, innuendo, and internet chatter about being the center of conspiracies, from the absurd to the entertaining. She also announced that the airport will be dedicating the month of October to embracing that strangeness and sharing in the fun. The month-long celebration included all sorts of odd conspiracy activities, such as conspiracy art tours, conspiracy theories uncovered art exhibition, and even a conspiracy costume party. Can there be any more strange rumors about this conspiracy-ridden airport facility? Well, actually, yes, the plot thickens. There are also a number of theories about what lies beneath the airport. According to BuzzFeed, a former airport construction worker claims five multi-story buildings were built underneath the airport. This, he said, was the reason the airport was so far behind schedule. He also said that there was a complex network of tunnels beneath the airport. This claim has been made by many others and led to theories that these underground buildings were everything from New World Order command bunkers to post-apocalyptic fallout shelters for the global elite, including billionaires and politicians. One theory even claims there was a makeshift Federal Emergency Management Agency or FEMA concentration camp waiting to be used beneath the Denver airport. But the airport just isn't set up correctly for gassing people, so this theory seems far-fetched. There are so many theories on what's beneath the airport that it's hard to know what's true and what is not. The most plausible theory seems to be that these underground tunnels are used for the airport's rail system and the overly huge baggage system that was going to be deployed but didn't materialize. So what is the truth behind the Denver airport? There are literally hundreds of theories online, and many of them contradict each other. We know it's a huge and expensive construction that didn't necessarily need to be so big, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything shady is going on at the airport. And compared to similar international airports, it could be considered a bargain build as Hong Kong International Airport, which was built around the same time, cost a whopping $20 billion. And though there is another airport, it is much older and poorly designed to serve Denver's growing needs. The tunnels, which have some conspiracy theorists excited, are used for transport and moving baggage. But the artwork? That seems to have most people stumped, as it's certainly strange for an airport terminal. Yeah, I don't do commercials. So those are, in a nutshell, the conspiracy theories. (laughs) And every conspiracy theory is so far coming out true. And the problem that we have in society today is, you know, we have trust issues. And I go by what my father always, like he was so smart, right? So smart. He said to me, 
Always start someone at 100%. No matter what you hear about them, you trust them at 100%. Trust, but it doesn't mean, you know, hey, you could just hear, here's my passwords, here's this. It means that you trust them. You take them at face value. And it's up to them to maintain themselves at 100%. Because we are very influenced with what other people say. And that is the beauty of a psychological operation. And it's pretty genius. Now, let me take you to that um, uh to a TV report from local TV about the airport. This is really important because now I'm going to take you to another place where there are underground bunkers and they were exposed. But once I'm done with that, I will stream on Twitter and on YouTube the big Hunter Biden story. Well, it's a Joe Biden story. I don't know if I should do it on YouTube, actually. I might be banned. I'll just leave it on Twitter and rumble. It's going to be one segment. Not yet. We still have to do the background. We need to see all of these things, right? So here is Nine News. This is um, uh, MSDNC um, affiliate, probably Gray Media. And they're talking about the city below the Denver International Airport. Just remember, we have to revisit this. Some of you already know these things because you believe a lot of the things that are being told. But here's where I show you methods today. Every day, on their way to catch a plane at DIA, thousands of people walk over it. And they don't even know what's going on right underneath them. I wish I did. Not No, I have no idea. Deep down in the trenches, out of sight and mind, there is an underground city. And just like all cities, there's a freeway system. In this case, full of tugs, carts, and sometimes chaos. This is where the airlines move our luggage from plane to plane to baggage claim. And there's no time to waste. When they're offloaded, they go into the... Into the... When they're offloaded, they go into the dump belt. Everybody's yelling and screaming, where are my bags, where are my bags? And a lot of times, you know, there's traffic. People get stuck behind other airlines. This is one of two 7,000-foot tunnels under DIA. It is huge down here, more than a million square feet of space. And just over that wall, well, that's the train that you take. It reminds you of an actual freeway system. There are all kinds of signs posted and speed limits to follow. DPD actually patrols down here, and they actually give out speeding tickets. And just like driving the freeway, if you get lost, well, sometimes you get really lost. You come down here, and if you don't know where you're going, you can literally be driving around in circles for hours. Went down, took a left instead of a right, then made another left, another right, and I'm over on the Seacon. The reason there are so many tugs and carts is because of this. You may remember the airport tunnels as the home of the touted super-duper state-of-the-art automated baggage system. It was used when the airport opened, but never really worked very well. And even though United used a form of it until 2008, it is abandoned now. A looming framework of neglected metal, tracks, belts, and hopes. I think it was state-of-the-art for its time. Um, it, it simply cost too much to maintain, and it wasn't feasible to keep long-term. And then there's this, a piece of graffiti by an airport worker. 
Or is it a sign of strange things that exist deep under the airport? Is there a secret city down here? Well, there's certainly a city of people working, but it's not a secret. What about a military complex? No military complex. Never seen that. Have you ever seen them do psychological warfare testing? Never seen any testing like that. You know, a lot of people think there's an alien base. You know, uh, people think that. I've never seen any little green men walking around. Under DIA, thousands of workers spend their day doing their best to get you and the planes in and out on time. It's a pretty amazing place. And if it all works out right, just up the ramp, your suitcase gets loaded onto your plane. So when you get to where you're going, you don't go insane. Okay, we got to get this suitcase to the plane. Turn left. No, no, no. The other left. Not this way. I mean right. I mean left. Uh-oh. So here they are mocking you. They even drew aliens on the wall. And as you saw from the infographics, they've been psychologically targeting you. But here's the thing. One thing I learned in my career is that, you know, most of our annexes uh, that we have are, you know, in undisclosed locations, for example, without naming a specific country because I'm going to blow. I'm going to blow real hard because it's a crime. So it's not a crime if it's not a crime if I say it because it's a crime. So I want people to pay attention because Denver International Airport is very key here for a crime that Biden, Joe Biden has committed as alleged president right now and Barack Hussein Obama and him helped do in another country. And I'm going to be blowing this whistle real hard. So for those of you out there listening to me, I've shared this on Twitter and Facebook only, um, only due to the fact that I'm going to be sharing a report from another news outlet. I don't want to get knocked. Um, I want you guys to be paying attention carefully. So we saw that the Denver International Airport has all these pictures that even had masked children it had really demonic stuff and 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 this is good because this is how they just create a story on a story and then you just look just like area 51 but it wasn't really there <laughs> we should be looking more at yuma but anyway so um as uh we progress you're going to understand more because this is going to be the super crime that no one's actually figured out and this involves an fbi agent former fbi agent louis free uh it's all over the hunter biden laptop the little breadcrumbs and he just had court well who's he well we'll get to that but i want to show you methods so for example annexes so let's pretend we're in the country of what was that japanese story of a time traveler torrid right wasn't the name of the country torrid right where he turned up with a passport from torrid and he must be a time traveler from another dimension you remember that story it goes around on the internet all right so let's pick a country called torrid that doesn't exist in this realm okay and in torrid um you know they want to have a secret military base with weapons nukes airplanes Tr tanks, trucks, and personnel. And maybe they have one of the biggest cyber centers so they can, I don't know, like affect outcomes of elections and or uh, collect data and or ping data back, but you have to have zero latency. Here's the problem. Let's pretend you did this in a hotel. You would have cover as long as the employees that you have are no more than 50. And they would be assumed to be, and this has to be a big hotel if you have 50 employees working at your clandestine base of information collection, right? Global Strategies Group, right, Brennan? So <clears throat> what you do is you put it in a place where there's a lot of people that come and go, 
right? Because then you're not going to see the same car again. They might be popping off of a hotel bus. So you can't keep track of the people that are coming in. As long as it's busy, right? You can't keep track of who's coming in and who's going out. They might be coming by cabs. Of course, people go to the airport or you know, to a hotel or, I don't know, to a mall, you know, with uh, a bus or a taxi or, you know, an Uber, a Lyft, you know, or their car. You won't know. Let's pretend you try to find if at the Mall of America, there's a clandestine, I don't know, Chinese base, right? You're going to figure it out if it's like some hole in the wall, like Orange Street, you know, where everyone registers their businesses and it's a hole in the wall and you're like, what is this? This is just an address, right? You're going to figure it out if you see the same employees going in and out. You're going to see the same cars. And a lot of people call these black sites. Well, I'm going to tell you about a global black site where they committed actual crimes and the Romanian government is so pissed right now, I can't even. And so we... They really prompted me watching that, 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 that Biden went there. What? To ease them? To ease the fact that they didn't get an extradition? Well, we'll get into that. But for now, let's just look at Iran. 13 days ago, people found this. Let me guess. Conspiracy theory? No. It's truth. It's a, what is it called? An objective event or occurrence. Here you go like anything you've ever heard. Iran has just revealed its first underground air force base. You heard that right. After underground missile silos and an underground weapons factory, Iran now has an underground air base. It's called Eagle 44, a first of its kind underground station that is big enough to accommodate fighter jets. And the video on your screen showing you how. It was released by Iran's official IRNA news agency, which says that this facility will serve as a tactical military base that will host both fighter jets and long-range missiles. In fact, the video goes on to show a fighter jet passing through what looks like a tunnel. Right outside the tunnel is an airstrip from where these jets can take off. The video also shows generals walking inside the facility, showing off the colossal size. And this base is apparently the brainchild of this man, Major General Mohammad Bagheri, the chief of staff of the Iranian Armed Forces. He says that any attack from Israel or Iran's enemies will see a heavy response from Iran's many air bases, including Eagle 44. Listen to this. If a country or a place from surrounding countries or anywhere in the world is being used as a base to attack Iran other than the Zionist regime which we are already prepared for, that base will come under heavy attack. And also present at the base were two other top generals. Abdul Rahim Mosavi, the chief commander of the Iranian army, and Hamid Vahedi, the commander of the Iranian army's air force. And they said this base had been designed to keep Iranian planes far from the enemy's radars. 
Interestingly, they also said that the purpose of this base was to maintain peace in the region. Have a look. Our enemies who usually have wrong intelligence should sometimes see what we are capable of. This will help maintain peace in the world and the region. This missile has been designed in order to keep our planes far from enemy's radars. The warheads of these missiles have very high explosive power that can destroy heavy fortifications. So where exactly is this base located? This Iran has not revealed. All that the state media is saying is that the base is located at the depth of hundreds of meters under the mountains. Another interest, interesting aspect of this story is the timing at which this base has been revealed. It comes right after the US and Israel conducted a joint drill in the region. And this was no ordinary joint drill, by the way. It was the largest ever on record. Around 6,400 U.S. troops, around over 1,500 Israeli soldiers, over 140 aircraft, 12 naval vessels, several artillery systems were part of this exercise, an exercise that was widely seen as a message to Iran. In fact, a part of the drill reportedly included American bombers targeting a simulated Iranian nuclear facility. So is the unveiling of this base Iran's way of sending out a message to Israel and America? It certainly seems like that. Also, this is not the only underground facility that Iran has. Have a look at this map. Since 2011, Iran has been building underground nuclear facilities across the country. From Mashhad, Tabriz, Bakhtaran, Imam Ali in the north, to Bandar Abbas, Abu Musa Island and Kohistak along the country's Gulf Coast line. There are underground nuclear facilities just about everywhere. And unlike military facilities on the surface, which can be tracked using surveillance drones, underground silos are largely untraceable, also safe from enemy airstrikes. The last such facility was inaugurated in March 2021. Visuals released by the Iranian state media showed scores of missiles inside an endless underground corridor. The state media, in fact, called it a new base of, Iran, of Iran's elite Revolutionary Guard Corps. It said this base also houses electronic warfare equipment like radars, monitoring, simulation, disruption systems. This was in 2021. We are in 2023 now. And Iran has built an underground air base. We wonder what it is working on next. An underground skyscraper, perhaps? We are now available in your country. Like, seriously, though, right? I, I This Indian news station is like one of my favorites. But how interesting is that? <laughs> Let's just show you. Oh, Israel and America, are you working together? Let me show you what Obama gave us. Uh-huh. No. Let me show you what Biden did. Again. If it's under a mall, an airport, you're not going to see who's there. And if you remember, well, let's look at some foreign news. For those that are not Romanian fluent, it's okay. Just listen to a few of the words that are being spoken. 
And, you know, actually, let me show you a little bit of the comments. So maybe you can see what words will be spoken, like this one over here. What does that say? That says Biden. So I want you guys to listen carefully. România este din nou în centrul atenției pe plan internațional. Hunter Biden, fiul președintelui Statelor Unite, l-a recomandat. I-a recomandat lui Puiu Popovici ca avocat în dosarul Ferma Băneasa pe fostul șef al FBI. Arată asta mai multe e mail bombă obținute de Daily Mail. Intermedierea a avut loc după ce avocatul a donat 100.000 de dolari fundației familiei Biden, ai cărui beneficiar... Biden, 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 Biden. Well, okay, so let's talk about this. So what's what's bizarre is that, you know, we have a supposed media that is supposed to be very smart and understanding of everything. Well, Gabriel Popovicu is a businessman who has danced with a lot of people. Romania and their businesses well, their businessmen, always have to dance with the justice system. They're allowed to do illegal things as long as the government system is good. But at some point, Romania woke up after President Trump became president, and they didn't really like this, okay? So this guy, Gabriel, was targeted by Romanian government for his ties to political movers and shakers and some weird, you know, sports connections, okay? He was one of the richest men in Romania and he owns a lot of big brands. He was actually married into communists, um, actually communist elites, I guess, And he um, is the son-in-law of the former deputy prime minister, Ion Dinka. But Gabriel himself left the country um, for the United States. Back in the 90s, um, he set himself up in New Jersey. <laughs> We should talk about Bob Menendez too, but I'm not going to get into that deep of the rabbit hole. I want to give you super, I want to explain the Denver airport to you through this and show you the crimes of Obama and Joe Biden. So he had like this big business empire in New Jersey and he started a computer and tech company, but he is the guy who actually brought Pizza Hut over to Europe and Romania, right? And he owns all the KFC licensing over there and he has one of the biggest hotel chains in Romania. So um, after, he, after he set himself up in the U.S. in the early 2000s, and this is where he came on my radar through some paperwork, which was weird, but I dismissed it because it wasn't in my purview. It had no relevance, but I had seen the name thrown around well, under a code name. He was like, he was trying to be a Trump, but he was a corrupt Trump. He wanted to create a more swanky, you know, place in the north of Bucharest. And so he decided he's going to build this massive mall, right? <laughs> so as he was doing this, he was courting people. One of those people was the CIA. <laughs> so anyway, 
So, you know, his taxes and his documents are super stellar, right? And he looks clean, but he's really not. He was actually very tight with politicians, including, you know, uh, Tayan um, Basaku, uh, the mayor of Bucharest, and he became the president of Romania for two terms. He was, that president was the one that signed off for the purchase of property where he was building something as big as, you know, the Denver airport to this guy, Gabriel. And that happened during Obama's term. He actually gave it to him for a dirt deep price. In essence, if he bought it off the state, it should have been over a couple billion dollars. Now, here's the thing. That deal was struck with John Brennan and the then president, former president, I guess, of Romania. This is a massive mall, a massive mall. Well, the Romanians got really, really pissed. And they were super duper pissed. They didn't know, you know, how to respond to this because this was corruption. This was someone using government, blah, blah, blah. You know, and this is during the time of the awakening of the Romanian people, which came at the time that the people all over the world started to wake up after 2012. And they were angry. So they were hunting him down. Louis Free, the FBI, former FBI, was actually called in. And he went to Romania to represent Gabriel. Why would the FBI and other FBI agents become lawyers to Gabriel? I mean, because that's normal, right? That's totally normal when there's a businessman overseas getting done in for corruption that you have U.S. federal agents and prosecutors defending him, right? So as they're ready to sentence him for this corruption, he somehow manages to escape Romania and go to the United Kingdom. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the guy that owned Burisma, <laughs> Wasn't he in jail and captured in the United Kingdom for embezzlement of so much money? And then John Kerry and Biden got him out of that. So the deal was you give Hunter a spot and you let us fucking continue our shit in Ukraine. And because we got you out, we own you now. Kind of the same thing. So then this guy runs away and he goes to the United Kingdom. So Romania is like, fuck you. You're coming back and we're going to lock your ass up. Why would you run away? And why the hell is the U.S. government involved? Shit, Tate Brothers, whatever. Hmm wait for it. So now he is, um, you know, in the United Kingdom and he's been appealing the extradition. <laughs> right. So let's pause on that and see a report from six months ago from another fake news outlet that has a little bit of truth here. With his son Hunter and his business dealings. At the moment, Hunter Biden's vacationing with his father in South Carolina. Our next guest reveals in a New York Post article this, a source and emails 
from Hunter's abandoned laptop confirmed that he met with his then vice president father in 2015 and 2016, immediately after business meetings with a Romanian tycoon accused of corruption. John Levine's the columnist for the New York Post, back with us today. And John, good morning to you. Uh, the tycoon is Gabriel Papavizio, I, I do believe. What's his yeah, story? Your, your guess is as good as mine on that name. What, what would he be doing with Hunter Biden, John? So just for context on Gabriel Papavicu, he was a Romanian real estate tycoon. He had made hundreds of millions of dollars in Romania, and he was convicted of bribery, and he was sentenced to seven years in prison. And he was looking to have that conviction overturned. And in that effort, he enlisted Hunter Biden and a number of his business partners to sort of see what they could do on that front. And, and this effort, you know, millions of dollars, according to someone I spoke to who was involved in that effort, changed hands to Hunter and his cronies for that effort. And, you know, it appears that Hunter pulled out all the stops because, you know, what's really new here is that if you look at the calendar. This is what happens when um, this is going back to the speaking from a perspective like I know everything, right? He skipped over the important parts. He skipped over the important parts that this Romanian guy was actually in the United States. He was able to get exclusive rights to the biggest franchises in America and then move back over there. He also omitted the fact that he's part of the communist elite parties and that he was very good friends with the prime minister. Wait, it gets better. Right. The president of former president of Romania, he he then whitewashes it like this is all Hunter and it's not. Hunter was simply a prop for his dad and Obama because he was a drug addict. So they could be like, oh, well, he was a drug addict. We don't really pay attention. And I don't know a lot of things. You know, he's in the front, almost like Roger Stone's J6 bullshit. He put that, you know, uh, child predator, you know, Ali Akbar in the front. Right. Because he was under the spotlight. Now, the seven-year conviction came after he ran away to the UK, and there are emails showing that Louis Free went to go help. Now, this Romanian businessman is actually a businessman. He is the intermediary be between the former communist regimes of Romania and Barack Hussein Obama. And this is the fact. This is why FBI agents ran over there before the sentencing, right? And that's in the emails. And they went berserk to help him. So this Popovich guy, right, is then somehow leaves Romania, right, while he's awaiting sentencing for bribes. And the bribes, they know what the bribes are. You're going to be like, okay, so he had friends and he got it at a cheap dollar, square foot, whatever, and cheated the government out. Have him pay the difference. You know, this mall is awesome, right? This mall is awesome. What's the big deal? Because it's what's <laughs> what the mall really is and why the presidents had made this deal. Now, it was originally Bush's idea. And here's the thing. I wasn't put on the detail for the Romanian side because I was busy with Serbia and Croatia at the time. But I can tell you that I saw all the freaking documents pass by. And when I say latency zero, right? I mean it. And what you have to look is, well, it's a mall. It's massive. And some malls exist and some don't. And I'll demonstrate what I mean. This one does. It's actually pretty high end. But what's underneath them all? Huh. Right? These are the questions we should ask. So what's underneath them all? So I'm giving you what he didn't. He's giving you the knowledge he knows, and he's speaking from a point of privilege that he's an expert, kind of like we saw Dunning-Kruger, the, the, the effect of Dunning-Kruger, where you read some and you think you know everything, and it's like, sorry. Actual tangible facts and people of knowledge can actually say that this isn't 
a whole picture. I'm giving you the whole picture. So here we have this guy. He somehow makes it out of Romania while the FBI, former FBI and U.S. prosecutors <laughs> are defending this guy. And you're like, why are former prosecutors and FBI agents defending him in Romania, arguing there's speculation and they don't have any tangible evidence? These people are pissed because there's a base under there and they can't talk about it because it's supposed to be a secret. And then the people of Romania, if they find out, they'll be pissed. Is it under? Is it behind a shop? Is it somewhere? I don't know. You tell me. Because I don't know. I'm saying underground. Just speculating here. <laughs> I'm not really speculating. I kind of am. Not really. So, here we have it. Now, let's take a look. Let's pause this. And then we can go back to what I've been saying. The Dunning. <laughs> the Dunning. <laughs> Kruger effect, where people speak with limited knowledge on something as if that's the whole story. And obviously you missed a bit of it. But let's see this YouTuber. He's walking around, um, you know, Romania. Uh, it's a really small account on YouTube. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, he's called um, Ninja Tony. And he's like, before coming to Romania, I read online about Romania's counterfeit malls and how bad the situation apparently is. This sparked my interest, and I ventured out to discover the truth about those fake markets and malls in the outskirts of the capital city of Bucharest. Join me. So the funny thing is, is that just, you know what? Actually, just just watch and take in the information objectively. This doesn't say anything. But this is what's really happening. And Peach Obama is coming so close. I could taste it. According to a 2013 report of the Romanian Customs Service, 50% of all the goods of brand names, whether it be it, um, luxury watches, luxury clothes, or even consumer goods such as cigarettes, uh, actually fake and they come from Turkey they come from China they come from everywhere and what's interesting is that they're actually being sold everywhere basically in malls just in normal department stores and not just in those fake markets oh wow look at this back backyard here let's let's walk in here and see what we can find here but what I wanted to show you today is one of these malls and find out if they're actually selling those fake products. Ooh, a, a sketchy backyard in Bucharest. Not only this was pretty much unbelievable for me, but also it triggered my interest and I thought I'll just come to Bucharest and I'll check it out make a video on it because it's pretty interesting to me um yeah so i came here to the city um oh there's a person lying over there i'm not gonna not gonna go on here i'm probably gonna just go back out there's someone lying on the floor all right where was i so in bucharest with its one point 8 million people population um, the normal the normal people so to speak live in the outskirts of course they don't live here in the, in the city center which I mean by western standards can also be 
pretty run down, I'd say. But they live where you can find these malls where they sell the fake products. Well, I read that many of the items sold as real items come to Romania with no label on and then get the brand names stuck on them after clearing customs. Also heard that only about 3% of all the fake uh, products here ever get taken out of traffic by the customs or the police. So let's check out these malls and get uh, on the metro first. So these fountains are all part of the whole area here that they built. It's pretty spectacular actually and very loud. Also I think it's funny how all the big companies here advertise and it looks like it's been like this since the 70s. So maybe Pepsi is advertising with the same Pepsi can that it has been in the Ceausescu era. And a lot, a lot of traffic here. But I like it, it's a good vibe. So, the metro station here is called Tudor Vladimirescu. And if you're wondering who that is, I saw him earlier in the palace. So apparently this is a very normal residential area here in Romania. Wow, look at the, the trash here. Good morning. Dacha. So many Dachas here. So there are green tram tracks. How progressive is that? And this apparently is the mall we have arrived. I'm excited to see if there's actually fake stuff. Okay, so they're priced around 60 euros. Also those are priced around 70, 80 euros. So that was a brief introduction into a mall. Now let's go to the mall in Romania. Let's take a look at that. I just wanted you guys to get familiar with the area first. I mean, familiarity assists in having objective perspectives. You don't want to go on air and say shit half-baked just by some narrative or one email. And the question should be like, where's Louis Free? I'm taking a walk here in uh, central Romania. And you can see right here, this is the main mega main church, 300 million for that church. We're not even done with it yet. Got some other hostel buddies here along with me, and uh, we're uh, we're gonna we're, we're making our journey to a mall. It's about two mile, 2.2 mile walk, 3.6 kilometers, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, I don't like that sign there. Sorry, yeah, that's better, better. So um, that's what we're doing, and we're gonna try and get to that thing, but. It's like wall after wall right now, and who knows, we'll see if we can get there. The journey continues. Uh, got some beautiful houses here behind us, and uh, as you can see, 
and we're just we're just on our we're on our way to this mall. It's it's a uh, it's a trek. So this is where we're at. Got a nice little view of the neighborhood here, and we're on our way. So there we go. So we made it to the AFI Mall here, and uh, basically um, it's a it's a very nice big mall. Um, it's brand new, and there's a lot to see. We haven't seen anything yet, so we're just going to take it step by step and see how it goes. So AFI Mall in Romania, Bucharest. Well, we found a food court. <laughs> uh, we had to get a drink, we're gonna, or at least we're going to get a drink, uh, and. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's a big food court. Um, it's a pan around. It's got a lot of stuff here. Uh, once again, this is the AFI Mall. So, um, yeah. And that's, that's what it is. So, um, in fact, look at this. There is an ice skating ring in the middle of the mall. So... There we go, with a big spider up there, and uh, I don't know, I don't know if you can do that, but looks fun. Probably not safe at all. All right. Oh, uh, your 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 man buns in a way. You're trying some hats here. Did you sell pretty? All right, here we go. You gotta wear it down. You, you, I think you got on back. Wear it down. No? No, not for you? All right. Not for me either, probably. So I, I found this little chocolate store here in the mall, and this stuff looks incredible. Can't wait to try some of it. Um, they've got all kinds of things here. They've got a lot of macaroons and cakes. Uh, there are some the prices for the macaroons at least. And look at these little chocolate pieces they have right here. Just very nice. Um, so, hi, do you speak English? Alright, hold on one second. Let me get done with the video. Or I'm, I'm taking a video of the beautiful treats here. Hold on one second. Um, and so, walking around right here, they also have what looks like some ice cream. I'm just going to call it ice cream. I don't know if it's gelato. And uh, that's it. So once again, this is the chocolate little store here. That's what it looks like in the mall. And going to try it here. Give me a second to give it a shot. Okay, so I went with, I'm trying to show this to you. Uh, I went with the, Le, I can't even pronounce the name of it. I'm not even going to try it. But it's basically 64% um, why can't I? 64% uh, Belgian chocolate with macaroon, creme brulee, orange, and coconut praline. And I got a really loud guy standing here next to me. I also went with the um, this macaroon, which is... Uh, um, whereas, if we walk over here further, go back to our chocolate aisle, this infant's chocolate aisle, we have these... And then you grab a bag, and you're good to go. Um, I kind of like this little method. Met I kind of like what he did. That's exactly what I do when I find annexes of foreign countries. So the question is <laughs> quite interesting.
So let's get a little bit more understanding. I want you guys to understand that this investor, Gabriel Povovicu, was actually sentenced in 2017. But former FBI director and former federal judge, Louis Free, was his lawyer. Not only that, he had a team consisting of formal federal prosecutors and FBI special agents, one of them that actually spoke Romanian fluently, assisting in his defense. So I ask you this question again. Why would we have former FBI agents and U.S. attorneys representing some Romanian guy who lived in America for 10 years and had exclusivity to like Pizza Hut and KFC licenses? Oh, so Papa, bitch. Is someone very important, especially when Hunter Biden goes all in and they top former federal judges, former FBI directors and shit like that. Well, here's the funny part. In 2021, the extradition hearing was happening in uh, the UK. I want you to take a wild guess to what happened. Do you think they extradited Gabriel Popovich? Fuck no. Biden stepped in again. So the guy is no longer going to be held accountable for his corruption crimes. Why? Because then the Romanians will have him and they will pop it wide open. And this is why the FBI is there. See, that mall is pretty awesome because it's pretty, pretty big. It's got a lot of stuff in it. And you've never seen a mall that big, especially in Romania, which, by the way, was one of the first countries that one and... um uh, Sofia, uh, that I've been to these two places, Bucharest and Hagia Sophia, where, um, I was shocked. This is like, we're talking two decades ago. Okay. They would charge you for the bag. So if you went shopping, you had to bring your own bag or you're being charged for it. And I was like, the, mm. I mean, nowadays in America, if they charge us for our bag at Walmart or, you know, Target or even Whole Foods, I mean, they suck anyway. So even if they're free, you need like three of them to do the job of one now. But I digress. Now, let's um, think of it this way. The Vuitton Mall was the very first uh, shopping mall in Bucharest. And it was uh, close to Dudesti. Um, I am going to say that this is uh, one of the most um, chicest, 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 chicest malls. And I want you guys to see it again. This is very important because Biden went to Romania just less than 24 hours ago. Mm, the audio cut out. Fair enough. I just want you guys to take a look at the architecture. So reminds me of some very specific architecture or layouts. Let's go. Wow, it's pretty tall and busy and big and has a lot of stuff. So let's go back to crimes. We should talk about these crimes. So what's interesting is that a lot of people um, need to understand that it was Hunter Biden that met his dad, allegedly, through these emails. And we'll go back to the whole... um, Fox News report, uh, while working for a Romanian real estate tycoon, actually he was the go-between, okay? And that was an, um, that was what people say that how, you know, he got millions of dollars. That's bullshit. Let me tell you something. I'm a business person, small business. Let's pretend (laughs) I had individual exclusive rights to KFC and Pizza Hut and they took them over to Greece. 
right? And then, you know, someone's like, yo, you were related to the former minister of defense or whatever, or the president. And this is why you got a deal and you got this whole land and you freaking built them all. And that's corruption. And they want to arrest me. Uh, That's my doing. Why would a former federal judge, former FBI director, and a team of formal federal prosecutors and special agents of the FBI that are fluent in Romanian come and defend me. Think. People need to think. And that's the story that's buried in a story and buried in a story where you hear a whitewash of things rather than pop it wide open. And that's because, and I, and, and I had this conversation with Garrett too, when he was putting the report, I said, you know, what's frustrating is, is that there's a lot of people that are going to analyze this. And I had created a mirror image of uh, the laptop. So that way you, it, you know, when you opened it, it was like, as if you're looking at a Mac interface, right? So that way you can search everything the way it was when it was lost, but he wanted to do a report. So I stepped back. And the one thing that I was concerned about, and I wasn't so concerned with Garrett because he actually made phone calls and had conversations with him, not like they were going to tell him the truth anyway, is that eyes that see this, that have no knowledge or understanding of how we operate overseas will make conclusions that make no sense. So here's how you see the truth. You see all of it, right? And then the question sits, hold on. Why did we have a team of FBI agents federal prosecutors, former federal judge, and former, and he was also a former FBI director, go and represent him for property bullshit that's local. Now, this is where the story is. See, in in this preview of a documentary that will be coming out, discussing truth, and how to discern and how to um, come to a conclusion. I guess we're going to tackle Plato. We're going to tackle, you know, all these theories of what is truth, right? The one thing I can tell you is that the stronger the light is, the darker the dark looks. And so here is a light that you shine on this and you're like, all right, this guy is a corrupt Romanian born into communist elites, comes to the U.S., suddenly cuts a deal as Obama's president, buys this property, took a while, builds whatever it is, and then people, after the awakening, and after you know kicking out all these communists, suddenly they're like, yo. Once Trump is in office, they're like, yo. <laughs> they had already started the yo part. Because Europe has been a few steps ahead of the United States in waking up to this propaganda machine. Just a few steps. And that's because the European Union was cocky, and I've said this from the get-go. You can't have countries, just because they have histories, eons of history of co-associating, you cannot have one banner that they all fly under because they all have different perspectives and they will suss the shit out really quick. Now, this is where he goes back And now they're going to prosecute him. And now he's going to get a sentence. And somehow he escapes to the United Kingdom as all these FBI agents, federal prosecutors, former federal judge slash FBI, former FBI director there, he disappears. Wonder who was at the Romanian consulate that helped to get the fuck out, right? 
And so he goes to the United Kingdom and he's on trial. And in 2021, they're like, yeah, we're not going to extradite him because maybe they didn't have enough evidence because, you know, our FBI went and defended an actual crony that let them have an underground relay sender. And so it's so weird because listen to the report. You're only getting half of this. And this is the problem with truth. What he's saying isn't wrong. It's just not truth. He's only seeing one side of the ball and he's got minimal knowledge and he's going to stick by it. And this is where having little knowledge and you do a little bit of research on Wikipedia and you read a couple emails, you think you know what's going on. It's not the truth. And this is a primary example of where we have issues in our society. America right now is indeed suffering the gettier problem. We've got gettier problem and we've got, you know, this whole effect of, I know some, so I'm an expert. (laughs) That's why I even told Garrett, I'm concerned that people are just going to be spinning up stories. And this is exactly what's going to happen when they maintain footage from J6, not giving it to prisoners so they can help themselves, but also giving it to gatekeepers. So they just skew and, and tell you what's going on because that moment in time with that document, that's the story it tells, but it's not the whole story. As I said, every story is a narrative and every narrative is a babushka within a babushka within a babushka. There's a story within a story in a story. And that's the problem. We don't want a story. We want points of occurrence, points fixed in time, points of events. And as we get that point in event and we look at the history that comes up to the event, that is the full picture. So let's go back to what this guy was saying now that I've kind of told you some more. Let's listen. Gabriel Popovicu, he was a Romanian real estate tycoon. He had made hundreds of millions of dollars in Romania, and he was convicted of bribery, and he was sentenced to seven years in prison. So point number one, he forgot to mention that he was in the United States in New Jersey, and he was there for 10 years and has exclusive um you know, rights to very um, important franchises that do a lot of business overseas, point one. And he was looking to have that conviction overturned. And in that effort, he enlisted Hunter Biden and a number of his business partners to sort of see what they... So now that's false, right? Because his business partner is not a former federal prosecutor and former FBI director, or is it a barrage of special agents and former special uh, uh, federal prosecutors that some speak Romanian? Those are not associates and businessmen with Hunter Biden. So another falsity of an event or occurrence. But through the email, that's what you allege. Let's continue. They could do on that front. And, and, this effort, you know, millions of dollars, according to someone I spoke to who was involved in that effort, changed hands to Hunter and his cronies for that effort. And, you know, it appears that Hunter pulled out all the stops because, you know, what's really new here is that if you look at the calendar on at least three different occasions when Hunter Biden was conducting business on behalf of this Romanian immediately after he was meeting with his father. So it almost reminds me of QIA, right? And then the hustling of documents that Hunter Biden did with the Department of, um, with the State Department in Qatar, right? Where they were like currying over documents. This is normal because I know what's there. 
So this would be normal that Hunter would meet with this businessman because allegedly they had ties and the ties were the U.S. government, more specifically the CIA and block operational sites. So this would make sense. So it has nothing to do with business things. And the billions of dollars that went in were your tax dollars. Let's continue. Um, and, and you can see this all in the calendar. So you've got situations where he's, 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 he's talking to, he's in Romania. He's meeting with the U.S. ambassador to Romania at the time to talk about the case. And then he comes back from Romania. Two days later in the calendar, it says breakfast with dad. So Hunter's talking to the ambassador of Romania. So who was the ambassador of Romania at the time? Question, because that's probably the person that assisted them to get smuggled out of the nation. And maybe this is exactly it. This is where we get the Louis Free response, where Hunter is meeting with the embassy in Skiffs, having these conversations to orchestrate how he gets out. Now, he wasn't trying to overturn, right? He knew he was, he thought he wasn't going to get sentenced. But then Trump became president. Trump was going to be president. And he got fucked. And so Biden was pretty much doing damage control because of this, because they didn't want the Romanian people to know exactly what went on and how their previous presidents (laughs) sold them out. It's the communist elite, guys. You know, when you don't see the person to what it is, you look at their family, right? The the wives, usually, kind of like this Vivek guy. Just take a look at his wife. Look at him, too. I mean, anyway. Continue. Let's just see how truth is very subjective when you don't have information. At the Naval Observatory. Oh, the Vice okay. President's uh, Let me get to that right now, because I, th- this is strange to me. The former FBI director, Louis Free, was working for the tycoon. He, he, he was hired by him. So he, here's one of the emails that you came up with. Does this still work for you? And that's Hunter Biden's office manager, Jim Pugh, I think. Um, yep. titled 12 p.m. call with Louis Free. I'm going to yoga at 5.15 if you're done with your dad in time. Now, why is that so right. significant? Why is that important, Jess? So Louis Free was also part of the, a former FBI director, was also part of this effort to get the chart, the conviction against Popovichu overturned. And there's really no reason... How do we get to the bottom of the truth? So now we have all this information. The guy is explaining things pretty whitewashed because he's only basing it off of that one email, right? So the questions you should have is, why was Louis Free tapped? So now we must look at the cases, the federal cases that Louis Free conducted. When was he an FBI director? Under who? What was he doing? That is key because now it makes sense. Now you have context. See, when you see this report, you're like, ah, they're so corrupt. And then you just leave the story. But this is a big crime. Very big crime. Kind of like metabiota. People are whitewashing that shit. And it pisses me off. But then you have to think of yourself. Why would we have a relay center? What is going on? Oh, and then you just need to pull out a map and look at where Romania is. And that pretty much explains a lot of it. But, uh, (laughs) and then when you see where the mall is, uh and then you get an aerial view, uh and then you're just like, okay, I see this now. Hey, Denver. So let's continue. You know, for Hunter and Louis Free to be having a call, you know, at that time, other than for for Popovichu. And then, as you can see from that email, it confirms what you can see in the calendar, that there was a meeting with Joe Biden that same day, just two hours, in fact, afterwards. Okay, so here is Peter Ducey asking the golden question from 2019. 
How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. You've got that on camera now, John. That was three years ago. And your whole piece today suggests that. Well, Biden didn't lie, did he? Because it's not his business dealings. It's his. It's Obama's. He was just the front guy. Think Roger Stone has done Stop the Steal since 2000. Yes, hanging chads. Huh. You guys need to revisit history. This time around, because he was under watch, right? And people were paying attention or he couldn't get his hands dirty. Who did he prop up? Ali Akbar. Now, Hunter Biden, you know, is the only one left standing. Bo Biden was raking in things. He had a better life or whatever. And Hunter was just the spare part to go do the dirty work and launder the money for him, along with Eric Schwerin. Like, why isn't he in jail? But anyway, so as we continue, we see, right, just from this clip, we can see how the lack of information changes what the truth really is because we're just hinting and business dealings. And, and Joe Biden didn't lie. It's not his son's business. His son is simply a prop to relay information like he did in other countries, you know, through the embassies. You know, I'm Joe Biden's son. Here are some documents or give me those and I will take them. It's not like you're going to tell the vice president's son, you can't take this shit out of the embassy. It's like, fuck you. I can go wherever I want. I'm Hunter Biden. And that's true. I mean, did he have a black passport? Of course. Probably. He should have. I don't know. I've had a black one. Uh, so here's, here's the, 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 the source of the problem that we have. You have information. You have this email. You have a ton of history that you can look at, right? But we've all looked at, I don't know, Fox or whoever the influencer is. And they take this and they translate it, right? They're translating what's in there to a story that is Hunter Biden's business. And I don't understand why they keep doing that. Oh, that's easily digestible to the people, but that's not the truth. Hunter Biden was simply a prop, and he was a very depressed prop. He was used by his own father. He was a prop. So Hunter had no money. He was always begging. So who was getting the money? 10% goes to pop. I still stand firm on this. Hunter got none of that money. Joe Biden got all of it. 10% to the big guy? The big guy was always called Obama. And while many people say the big guy is Joe Biden, I am telling you it's not. And that's the way Joe Biden refers to Obama, the big guy. And so if Hunter's not getting the money, right? Because you can look at his bank accounts in, out. And there he is texting his dad, cash out means the money I need to get hookers. That's the way it is. And these are facts. But it all depends on who's receiving the information. Are you easily impressed with people that have a fantastic studio or that other people tweet or are supposedly important or that are more are better than you? So you should listen to them. Or do you trust your own discernment of taking that one piece of information and say, all right, let's find the backstory to this information. Because today I just revealed to you a very dodgy black site deal that happened under the Obama administration and how the Obama administration, using Hunter Biden, obviously, was trying to mitigate post-elections and right up to the 2016 elections to hide that. Now, uh, you know, I'd be very excited to see if in the Mar-a-Lago documents some of this came out because I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, you know, the mid-year exam that was happening on Hillary Clinton may, I'm pretty sure, have stuff on Gabriel because uh, she likes Romania too. That he met with his dad multiple times surrounding the same time that he was doing work with this tycoon for a name that we can't pronounce. John, is it possible that all of this could be explained away? 
it's it's increasingly unlikely that that's the case. And, you know, as you said, it really is the golden question. And it's been reiterated several times by White House press secretaries, both Jen Psaki and now Karine Jean-Pierre, that there was no contact between Joe Biden with his son with respect to overseas business dealings. But just the, the body of evidence that now exists makes that impossible to believe. So- well, 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 well. It's not a business dealing. If it's a government operation, that's supposed to be a state secret. You see where I'm going with this? So the truth is hidden within a story of a story of a story of a story. And while we all want to say that he had all these businesses, people need to ask themselves, who is Gabriel Popoviku? Or Pew? Who is he? Just a real estate tycoon? He developed the first office buildings for IKEA in Romania after he had a controversial deal, get this, with the University of Bucharest. He was sentenced to seven years of, uh, in prison for fraud and corruption with his deal with <laughs> a university. And you guys need to look at the university. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it, you know, uh, whatever. I'm just going to leave it. And that's it. You know, and the problem that people don't want to touch this is because Louis Free, who was a good guy, supposedly, he was FBI director at some point, he was a federal judge at some point, he had actually reached out to Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and he was paid by the Free Group, right? Free Group International Solutions. You guys should go dig on that shit, right? Where he was asked to send a a letter to the now Romanian president, other Romanian top officials, saying that, you know, this is too excess, you know, that DNA which is the National Anti-Corruption Department, was overly heavy-handed with this. And that's because I'm assuming that a lot of people know exactly what the fuck was going on there. And so um, even though, um, (laughs) you know, uh, this was there and he admitted to that, right? The embassy in Bucharest called... um, uh, Mayor Giuliani's letter, an individual opinion. And Rudy Giuliani said, you know, his letter was not referring to anything with the U.S. government. That is telling. Because one thing uh, that America's mayor doesn't do is lie. And he was right. His letter did not have anything to do with that. It was using excess. And that could be because a lot of people know exactly what's there and what the deal is. And could you imagine the unrest in the United States when that is all revealed? It'll drive you crazy. So think Denver International Airport and this. Now let's go to three hours ago. Your alleged president, and I'd like to call him Chief Usurper, guess where he went to stop off? You guessed it. Romania. After... He met with the Ukrainian president, sorry. The Romanian, bleh, Romanian president while he was in Poland. Neutral ground, of course, because he may. I'm surprised they haven't arrested Joe Biden. History of our part of Europe and which has an impact on the security situation across the world. I'm speaking about the brutal, full-scale Russian aggression of Ukraine, which started on February 24 last year. One day later, we met in this hall to discuss increased U.S. military presence for as long as it needs about our next steps in the run-up to the 
B9 summit in Bratislava and the NATO summit in Vilnius and about the possibilities to provide further support to Ukraine. Thank you now, and I give the floor to the President of Romania, Mr. Klaus Johannes, co-host of the summit. Thank you very much, dear President Biden, dear President Duda, dear colleagues, dear Secretary General Stoltenberg. Now, why would Romania be co-hosting this as NATO? And why would they, the Polish president and the Romanian president be flanking him with their security as well in having these conversations? See, Romania and Poland. We've got Lithuania over here. Romania, Poland. I want you to look at the people behind Joe Biden, who does not look very happy. We've got Lithuania, Romania, Joe, and Poland. I want you guys to see Romania, U.S., Poland. Very important. This is very important. What are they discussing? Let's see what Joe says. One in the United States Senate was pushing the hardest to expand NATO for membership of many of you sitting around this table. And uh, the irony is that... Uh, one of the last conversations I had with the, uh, our friend in Russia was, uh, <clears throat> I said, keep asking for the Finlandization of NATO. You're going to get the NATOization of Finland. Well, it happened. Not only are we as strong as we are stronger, and, uh, I say to my fellow presidents that uh, I'm honored to be with you here <clears throat> and uh, so many strong NATO allies. And uh, the Secretary General, who I think has done an incredible job, an incredible job for a long time. I uh, rely on his judgment a great deal. You know, the B-9 was founded in 2015 after Russia attempted annexation of Crimea. And today, as we approach the... Uh, when your anniversary of Russia's further invasion, it's even more important that we continue to stand together. And I think this is proof of this, how strongly we feel. That's why I wanted to meet all of you in person here today. As NATO's eastern flank, you're on the front lines of our collective defense. And you know better than anyone what's at stake in this conflict. Not just for Ukraine, but for the freedom of democracies throughout Europe and around the world. You know, when um, that's what President Zelensky and I spoke about when I was in Kyiv two days ago. And uh, the leaders around this table have repeatedly stepped up to reaffirm our shared commitment to all these values. We provide critical security assistance to Ukraine. All right. So let me put you out of your misery. This is where Romania demands money. This is where Romania demands a seat at the table. But then the question is, will Romania bend the knee to the West? And so tomorrow, as we analyze the speech of President Putin and President Trump and contrast that with what's real information, meaning we're not going to be calling it true story. What are factual events and occurrences that happened? 
what are the etymology that what is the etymology that they use when they speak? Well, that tells you everything. So let me conclude. With Denver International Airport, well, there's got to be a fire if there's smoke. And if you think about it right now, huh, kind of looks like a conspiracy once again is true. And with the appropriate information, you can extract the reality of the occurrence and watch your influencers and your social media, which is your new public square of discussion. You're trying to find ways to discern. Well, discernment comes with the ability to be objective and to be able to stand back and take a bigger picture, removing yourself from the situation to see the story behind the story. The story you're told on the big screen or on your airwaves may not be the real one. And as you assess all the information that contradicts the initial story, and then you follow the contradicting information to find more contradicting information, you come down to one bit. Is it the content of the story? Or is it the content of the occurrence? What is really happening? Your mind, as it tries to filter information, it falls back on cognitive what makes you feel safer? What makes you feel better? That is the whole purpose of your mind, to put you at ease. So as your brain is on fire and you're throwing a fire hose of information to put it out so you're not craving it, the only thing you think of is I want to find the truth. And well, I can tell you this. Love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping for nothing again your reward shall be great. Love is always the answer. And in this digital age of continuous information, there are stories within stories within stories. An unlimited basket of rabbit holes that you can jump into. And so one would say, what is the truth? Well, people will tell you it depends on the person receiving the truth and how is that so they say it's religion uh, tainting the faith I tell you this there's always a story within a story and throughout time stories are rewritten right under your nose but the fun part is is to write your own story to be the story and so as others Put a story within a story, creating a barrage of babushkas where a story is to cover another story to cover another story, and then another story to cover another story and another story and another story, and then again and again and again and again. Soon, you'll realize how truth shines bright, but when it does, darkness is even darker. Don't forget to subscribe and share, because what I'm about to show you is the what if story within a story. What if coming this spring? Pay attention. What if? What if?
what you saw wasn't. Мы закончили и успешно провели чемпионат мира по футболу. Господину президенту этот мяч передать, теперь мяч на его стороне. Тем более, что США должны будут проводить чемпионат мира 2026 In quantum physics, possibilities are endless. Occurrences are endless and happen simultaneously. Therefore, as you write your story, as we write our story, we decide the occurrences and therefore we decide the truth, not the story. The story is what's being told. It's a narrative. We don't need a narrative. We need truth. And we get to write that truth by writing our history. Now, we actually found the occurrence, found the events that are irrefutable. And yet, for some reason, your media... Your investigators, your influencers aren't digging deeper. Why? Because they haven't read enough. It goes back to the beginning of this long show, Making Up for Yesterday, where I said, we all have a perspective. And truth, even though all of us are truth or fact, facts over feelings, well, it depends where you're standing. And if you take the 40,000-foot view, ding, you could see everything. You could see all the colors of the ball. You can see all the sides. And it is at that point that you realize how much compassion you have for everyone around you. And that is indeed the way it is. Compassion comes with knowledge. We cannot be compassionate. You know, I've gotten a lot of hate because I have, I, my heart bleeds for Hunter Biden, regardless if he's a criminal and that he's committed atrocious crimes, my heart bleeds for him only because of the way it was done. And so for you to be able to discern what's true and what's false, well, you got to see who's telling you the story. And if it's not you looking for information, then you've chosen the blue pill. I mean, but once you start asking the real questions, like, for example, the Twitter hearing, if they had Del Harvey there, we would have gotten to the bottom of this shit. But instead, they had the pawns. Why? Because then everyone would know that Del Harvey, who was in charge of safety for Twitter, was actually working for the government, maybe DARPA, and the agency and others, obscure agencies. See, that's how you know who's on your side. And that's how you know that it's okay not to know everything. But you already have everything you need to be able to find the answers to everything that puts you. Like the train derailment. It didn't make sense. How did we have so many? Why were all these questions happening? How come everyone jumped on the Chernobyl narrative? Can't you see? They're coming for your water. You can't last more than three days without water. And that, my friends, is fact. Three days, no water, you're done. 
And let's just leave today with a song and a visual that will make you go, hmm, I actually pretty much love this one. God bless. Can't touch this. Touch this. Sweet dreams are made of the leader. Who every line.